0: Greetings, fellow Deditons of Philosophy Land. I hope you're doing very well. It is the 22nd of January, 2012, and I um, hope you're having a magnificent week. Hope you're having a wonderful week. Libertyfestwest.com is a speaking gig I've got coming up, and in July in Vancouver, I will be speaking as well. I'm going to be doing a live audience participation demonstration of universally preferable behaviour. It's going to be a massive crowd, breakdance, sing-along, exposing the true nature of ethics. It should be a gripping time. I hope you'll be able to make it. I'll post more details about that on the Freedom in Radio message board. And given that we have a big lineup of people to uh, question, criticize, compliment, and harangue me, uh, let's move straight into it. I will bypass the intro. And uh, James, if you'd like to bring up the first caller, that would be great.
1: Oh, first in the line we have uh,
0: William. Willie, what's shaking?
1: William, me, William?
0: Uh, yes, I think so. If hey, if you're William, who can grab the mic? It's yours.
1: Okay, I'm. Uh, I might be Marley on the board. Uh, I've tried to contact you a couple of times. We've had a little bit of uh, a lag problem on that, I guess. Um, I don't know if you recall some of the communications we've had. There's been some difficulty as far as uh, me coming out of the closet, so to speak, uh, with the household I'm living in.
0: And which uh, I think I remember rightly, but uh, just to inform the people listening in.
1: Oh, um, uh, well, it's first the, I think, I think the, uh, the biggest blow to everybody was the, the atheism thing. I've been in a 20-year a marriage and uh, I was a theist uh, pretty strongly for a long time and uh, I guess that was it's kind of expected after 20 years you're not going to have any surprises like oh, it's a sky ghost
0: after all. Right, I'm an atheist um, and it turns out I'm one of uh, uh, the reptilian folk who rule the world, just wanted to mention that get me some flies. Anyway, go on.
1: Yeah, and uh, plus I raised some some children and uh, one of them is an atheist. One uh, son defood years ago uh, for other reasons and uh, let's see. Uh, I wrote a long in the uh, in the uh, Fatal Attractions, I wrote a long post uh, and uh, you enjoyed reading that. Said it was uh, was good writer, and I, I spend a moment to in, to enjoy that. Um, but uh, so I continue talking about uh, trying to talk with them, and I and I was thinking of the uh, the whole the whole evolution is a cliff face thing, but for religion that religion kind of developed a long time, and so maybe instead of looking down from the top of the sheer cliff saying, well, if I jump off this cliff, I'm going to die instead of, well, maybe if you turn around and walk down the hill back, so if you if you step down from it step by step, uh, that would be a way uh, to do it. I mean, I've always, I've always questioned things which helped I guess. Uh, when I came across new information that was logical and made sense, uh, I accepted it regardless of how Uncomfortable it made me. And of course, I, I took a swing, my, my pendulum took a swing a couple of times. It's not my first trip into atheism. Uh, uh, my first denial of God really was kind of anger. You know, how could you possibly make, you know, allow horrible things to happen in the world if you're loving and nurturing and all the hippy dippy stuff, right? And, um, but I never really researched it. I just, you know, well, I'm done with that. And then after a while, I just kind of relapsed back into it, mostly because I didn't want to. Uh, I was tired of arguing about it.
2: <laughs> right, right. right.
1: Uh, then when it came again, now I'm a strong atheist, and you know, it's. I mean, the matter is settled. But uh, the problem. Uh, well, I mean, the latest. The latest thing was well if you're into this philosophy thing, why don't you go and, and study philosophy and read all the philosophers and then get back to me?
0: Yeah. Oh, that's what people what they, sort of... Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And, and, and I mean, I've heard, uh, you know, a lot of podcasts, that kind of thing is mentioned mostly about libertarians. Why don't you research all of these, you know, ancient anarchist and libertarian societies and everything and then get back to me? Uh, just kind of a way to send me scurrying off on my little errands and you don't have to talk about it.
0: Right, right. Put um, the onus of work upon you, and then people, you know, can always say, well, have you read this philosopher? No, of thousands of philosophers out there. Well, go read him, and then get back to me. It's just a way of postponing right. things, right?
1: Uh, I wanted to uh, do a little background. I mean, my wife is already, um, by her own description of, of her approach to faith, he's already a heretic, because she agrees that many sections of the Bible are mistranslations are just dead wrong you know, the sell your daughters into sexual slavery thing, well that can't be possible God didn't want that, so it's got to be a mistranslation or a bad quote or just some crazy person saying hey I'm speaking in the name of God Um, but she's even gone so far as to say um, uh, that even if God came down and said things to her that would be that she would consider evil, well she would just disregard that because obviously you know
0: well, that would be Satan in the guise of God, obviously.
1: Well, maybe, yeah. That's 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 that would be another possibility. Although, uh, she hasn't thought of that yet. Um, but I mean, it's it's very it's very frustrating because you know the woman I fell in love with is 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 still there. I've just grown in a different direction, and she and I agreed all you know twenty years ago that. Um, uh, blood relationship is not in and of itself um a moral quality it's what you do um and <clears throat> she and I well i mean i told her that you know it's not your it's not your genetic legacy that you leave behind that is important it's your intellectual legacy what ideas do you leave behind you um and we've always we've always taught the kids you know you don't have to res- you don't respect your elders just because they're your elders or they're people in authority and you know they've run and you know they're all grown now but I mean they they've had their own run-ins with uh, with teachers at school and authority figures and stuff and we've gone in and uh, gone to the mat for them uh, for that
0: and i listen I don't mean to interrupt you and I but we have a lot of callers so I'm just wondering if yeah, you could, I, uh, if you could get to a question or a comment well, uh, just to make sure I address whatever it is that is, mm-hmm. is on your mind.
1: Uh, just uh, mostly I guess advice going forward because kind of the the whole defu process is is happening to me I wanted to I wanted to share the things that I've learned and, and discovered about myself and about the world in general with everyone here and uh, also this is not like a, a parental defu process where you know you're going out in the world we have a house together and I mean, we're just we're tangled up with twenty years. Of I'm sorry. Do you mean you
0: mean you mean a divorce, a potential divorce? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, that, I mean, that's, that's what you mean. That's
1: where okay. it's going. That okay. is that is where it's going. Uh, you know, she say, "Well, how come you're not living your values? You're just talking to me about it." And I said, "Well, I'm trying, and I got to start with self-discovery." Right. But it's you know it's.
0: What's your theory uh, as to why your wife is resistant to atheism or philosophy? Um, I guess.
1: Well, she has experiences in her past that she interprets as absolute proof that there is a spiritual world uh, populated by devils and demons and, and God and everything. She has. You mean
0: she's experienced? Uh, she feels she's experienced direct supernatural.
1: She's she's she feels that she's experienced miracles. Um, she was also raised in a, as you may have read but forgot, she, um, a very abusive. Upbringing. Uh, her father didn't calm down until he actually had a a stroke and was brain dead for like 12 minutes before he came back, and he lost most of his most of his personality as well as his memories of everything. And he was like a 12 year old until the day he died. Um, and so he ended up being taken care of by his ex-wife because uh, he was completely, you know just, he, he was dependent again, um, but he, you know, he would be violent and everything, but she, the, I think one of the things is uh, her brother had a bad car accident and he, all of his intestines were like turned around and everything, and they were going to go and do an operation, but the chart had been smudged mysteriously, and so they had to go and take new x-rays, and apparently everything had corrected itself internally. And uh, she says that, that was because her church prayed for him. And, wow.
0: Uh, and of so course, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure this is completely obvious, and I, I don't think this is the source of your... I mean, what do I know? This is just my theory. I don't think this is the source of your wife's faith. Because, of course, if God can come down and start flicking intestines around, then why didn't he nudge the car over so the car accident didn't happen to begin with?
1: Well, that's, that's true. And then, you know, we've had the whole... Uh, free will debate, and I said, Well, if he's, he's going to send you to hell if that's like putting a gun to your head. How much free will is that? You know, so well, God lives by different rules, those are you know, different <laughs>
0: right? Rules. So, how he's, do we but, know but, that God is good if God lives by different right. rules, right? I mean, and of course, um, how can you send how can God send people to hell if He already knows ahead of time, since He's all knowing, that they're going to do what they're going to do? Yeah. And how I, can I, God I, send I, people to hell for crimes when? For the vast majority of cases, it would appear that those crimes arise out of evil that was done to them as children, which they're clearly not morally responsible for. Uh, You know, somebody who's brought up in a loving, happy household. Uh, is very unlikely to become a criminal or a drug addict, whereas somebody brought up in an abusive household, the odds are multiple, multiple times higher that they're going to end up with this kind of dysfunction. Clearly, it's not the fault of the child for being abused, so how can God have the same moral standards for somebody raised peacefully versus someone raised violently, and how can he send a kid to hell uh, who's had so little chance in life to, uh, to get ahead? How can he send some... Somali uh, 19-year-old who's never heard of Jesus to hell for not knowing about Jesus. I mean, th- I mean th- obviously, the, pr- the moral problems with omniscience and omnipotence are so enormous that unless your wife has achieved the intellectual capacity of her own father after his stroke, then it's clearly not a rational or moral position that, 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 that's where she's coming from. That would be my argument, well, because she's, in, she's, you know, she's married you, she's an intelligent woman, uh, and so it can't be a lack of understanding that is, is the barrier.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, she—it uh, it, is—it is irrational because I mean, she's on one on one hand, she's told me twice, "Oh, well, you're going to hell because you're atheism," but on the other hand, when the arguments come up later, well, she doesn't really believe that there is a hell per se, which is why I said earlier in this conversation, you know, by her own definition, she's a heretic.
0: Well, listen, uh, I will—I um, uh, will tell you what I think, which you know, obviously has no particular truth value. These are all just theories and impressions, so, you know, you can take it with a grain of salt as much as you like. But this comes out of a couple of decades of hard-won, hopefully some sort of wisdom about debating ideas with people. It's not what it's about. When you debate with philosophy with people, it's almost never, ever, ever about what you think it's about. It's not about rational proofs. It's not about logical consistency. It's not about empirical evidence. It's not about a clear path to truth. It's not about a value for truth. People will say that it is about that, but it's really not. And and that is. Well, it is about childhood, of course, but as an adult, it's not quite the same. The first, if you want to figure out why somebody is resisting clear and obvious rationality, then the first place that you need to look at is what is the impact of accepting a basic philosophical truth, what is the impact of that acceptance on her personal relationships in the present, right? People will judge an idea by its effect on their personal relationships, but they will never say that. They will pretend that it's about some rational argument or some experience or the intestines were shifted around, and like, but that's not what it's about. What it's about is, okay, what happens to my personal relationships if I accept that statism is force? if I accept that taxation is violence, if I accept that there's no such thing as, as, as deities? What is going to happen to my personal relationships? That's what you need to look at. Most people's arguments for whatever truth is being proposed or denied are ex post facto justifications for maintaining the status quo in their existing relationships. This has evolutionary advantages, of course, uh, in that we needed other people in the past, in particular, to get food, raise kids. I think it's more so true for women than it is for men, biologically, and again, this is all just theory, but uh, particularly, of course, in the past, women were more dependent upon relationships than men, because women were constantly pregnant, so they needed people to bring them food, they needed people to help raise their kids, they needed people to you know, built them shelter and so on because they were busy having babies and raising, raising children. So women are particularly more, I think, geared towards being the peacemakers in their social relationships. Uh, and this results, of course, often in, this is quite frustrating for men, in an endless trivialization of life because any deep or resonant or powerful issues are going to raise conflict, and women, whether by nature or by socialization or by both, seem to be very strongly disposed to minimizing conflicts among family members. And that means a relentless trivialization of topics that you can talk about the weather, uh, that you can talk about um, uh, uh, sports, you can talk maybe even a little bit about politics, but the moment anybody brings up anything that is contentious, uh, women, you know, like an expertly tuned fire engine, will <laughs> firefighting group crew, will arise and douse any potential flames of conflict because to minimize conflict seems to be the role of women. And again, you can see some evolutionary advantages to this. And um, there seems to be a lot of socialization uh, for things that way. And so when you bring up... Uh, again, this is all gross generalizations, and I apologize to all the brilliant philosophical women out there and all of the um, <laughs> peace making trivializing men uh, but um, uh, you bring up a topic in particular with a woman, and she does not listen to the reason she does not listen to the evidence, it drops down into her heart, radiates out across her social relationships and say, will this be positive or negative for my social relationships? Will this engender conflict or will this make it easier for me to get along with uh, people in my life? Now philosophy, uh, unfortunately, does not usually make it easier to get along with people in your life, um, at least until the world becomes more philosophical, that is how it's going to be. But women are intensely attuned to conflict avoidance. Philosophy brings significant conflict into relationships, and therefore women will work to minimize, block, and uh, defuse any potential philosophical conversations uh, in their environment. It's one of the great barriers to the spread of philosophy. I'm not blaming women for this. This is, and again, I'm, <laughs> this is just a theory. I'm not, you know, tons of exceptions and you know all the caveats in the world. But if you want to understand why your wife is resistant to atheism, do not look at the arguments. Do not look at her arguments. Look at what effect it's going to have on her personal relationships, and uh, I would go from there.
1: Well, thanks. Uh, I'll give that a shot. I would like the opportunity to have a, a combo with you some weekday morning.
3: Oh, um, yes,
0: listen, give me a shout anytime, anytime. The, the conflict is reduced in relationships in my opinion. Conflict in, in experience. Conflict is reduced in relationships when you actually start talking about what the subject is rather than avoiding the subject with a lot of fancy words. I'm not saying that's you uh, but um, you can feel it doesn't mean that the relationship itself is solved necessarily or the problems are solved but there's a great easing of tension when you finally identify what the genuine motives are that the other person is experiencing in the conversation. I had a a chat with somebody who was a determinist. And, uh, you know, the, the conversations, of course, as they always are about determinism, was pointless, fruitless, and frustrating on the, on the message board. But when we actually had a conversation, I got to ask him what it was really about. And we talked about his, his history and his childhood. And, you know, he had a pretty wretched experience. His parents would constantly lock him in the room and, and drug him and send him off to get drugged and stuff. So he didn't experience any free will. So when you actually get why people have what they call their philosophical beliefs, why they actually have them, and what effect changing those beliefs is going to have, then you're actually talking about the thing itself, the actual motivation, what is actually driving people to have the perspectives that they have. It is not rational. Almost never is it rational, because we're not raised rationally. And so, people have their particular perspectives which comes out of their history, comes out of conflict avoidance or conflict provocation or something like that. But when you actually break through the intellectual defenses and you talk about the thing itself that is the cause of their intellectual defenses or their pseudo-philosophical perspectives, you clear all of that rubble away and you stare at usually what is the grave of some essential aspect of the self that hopefully can be resurrected. There's an enormous relief and an enormous relaxation in the relationship, because you're no longer fencing to avoid essential truths. So, the essential truth is not about God versus non God or about the state versus non state. The essential truth is what is the nature of my relationships? And very few relationships that I've seen or experienced, in that, for that matter, very few relationships can survive the scalding sunlight of truth. Relationships tend to be vampiric uh, in, in two senses of the metaphor, and in that they're draining and they cannot be exposed to sunlight. And so, uh, you know, find a way to crack through. Forget about God. It's not about God. It's about her relationships. Talk about that. Say, okay, let's well, let's pretend that you were an atheist. What would happen to you tomorrow? And what would happen when so and so called? And what would happen if so and so called and said, you know, bring a cake to church on Sunday? Or what would happen to so and so, you know, if, if they noticed your absence from church? Or you know, and and that's that's where the the, the genuine issue is. And if you pretend that it's about abstract arguments for God, I, I think you will just end up completely frustrated and you know the other way that getting to the actual truth of the matter I don't who knows if it's going to save your marriage or not it's definitely the best shot i would argue that you've got uh, but if you end up if it ends up not saving your marriage of course it would be great if it did but if it ends up not at least you will get closure because you will have a genuine understanding about her motives rather than these sort of pretend perspectives
1: yeah i mean i've used the worst case scenario thing and, and her only answer was well i would just die and that would be the end of it you no, know, nope, it's not about
0: dying, and that would be the end either. <laughs> I can yeah. always guarantee you—you know—very few people make their decisions on the afterlife. Otherwise, the Pope would have a much less gold lame in his disco suit. So uh, it is—it um, is about immediate stress and tension in the relationships. Uh, unfortunately, women are tuned to be conflict avoiders and conflict minimizers, which means that they cannot aso- approach essential or deep topics in their lives, uh, and that is, uh, I think it's very tragic for women, fundamentally. tragic for everyone, of course, but it's very tragic for women because it means that they live a much less, less deep and rich existence, and this is probably why a quarter of American women are on psychotropic or antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications last year, or so um, yeah, I would like for women to have more exposure to philosophy but that means that they have to grit their teeth and say that the truth is more important than my relationships, because if my relationships aren't based on truth, well, damn it, they're just not relationships at all.
1: Okay, well, I appreciate that. I'll just have to try to get past the snapping teeth.
0: Right, right, right. And, I, you know, I think that the key thing is to say, well, you know, the, the intellectual debates are not, they're not working. I think, I think there's you know, I'd like to know if there's something else going on. I'm certainly curious um, what it would be like and what do you think would happen if, if you accepted this. I'm not saying you should or do or whatever, but I really want to understand what the practical consequences would be and you know, you might need to be persistent in that, uh, but um, and and of course, you know, she needs, I think, to be able to express herself in a non-judgmental environment. Like, if you're being genuinely curious about someone else's experience, and certainly you have enough water under the bridge with this fine lady to 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 justify that, to to make that uh, a, a respectful and productive approach. If you're genuinely curious, then you know you have to sort of you can't sort of say, well, you know, it's uh, it's bullshit that you choose. God over your relationship with me or I can't believe you would be that sensitive to other people's disapproval it has to be a genuinely open and curious environment and if you're patient enough with that um, you know, it seems almost certain that you will get to some very important truth
1: yeah I'm trying to get through RTR too and, and I'm trying to use those um, tools
0: good well I hope that, I hope that helps and you know, if there's anything I can do to help please let me know
1: well I certainly appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you about this alright thanks bye all right. All right, next up, we have another James.
3: Hey, Stefan, I just want to appreciate my gratitude and thanks for everything you've shown me, especially a few of the videos, um, story of your enslavement. Um, another one was um, the state is not your family, and it's a great metaphor. I try to tell people of it, but they seem, they, they seem to shun away every time I say that that they're they're not not your mom, they're not your dad, they're not your brother or sister. It's just, it's nothing but a leech on you.
0: Yeah, I mean, it can be. Um, You know, I mean, uh, it it, it can be for sure. I'm very keen on virtue exists independent of biology. I mean, it kind of has to. If virtue is related to biology, then those you are closer to in biology should be those who are more virtuous, which basically is just racism, right? I mean, to me, uh, it's it's fundamentally no difference. It's just a difference of degree to be blindly pro-family as it is to be blindly pro-white. It's just saying that the similar genetics... Uh, breed virtue, and distant, more distant genetics breed vice, or, you know, you, you, you must be loyal to those who are closer to you in genetics. Well, that's just racism, and I was always taught that, that racism or genetic similarities were immoral as a basis for evaluation, and so, uh, I, you know, <laughs> one of the grave dangers of society is that children actually listen to the moral instructions they were given as a child, and I was told that don't hit, don't steal, don't punch, don't use violence to get what you want, and judging people by genetic characteristics is uh, immoral, and so I listened to that and I accepted that.
3: Like I accept those moral standpoints, when I was um, unfortunately like in state education system. Uh, back looking back on it, it was an absolute prison hellhole. Um, I did not cope at all, and I was subjugated to. I like, was actually very unfortunate to antidepressants in order just to, like, cope in the prison that it is, but eventually, like, I'm thankful for my parents that got me out of it, but at the same time, like, they, they kind of forced me, like, this was, like, during year nine. like, I pleaded and saying, like, do not, um, send me, like, during the last two weeks it's hell, and basically, I still have not gone, gone over that, and I'm turning 20, and I still, like, have that lingering, um. Memory, like even though my mom still regrets it, but it's a bit of a taboo um, subject. Whenever I talk about education, or likewise, because it always brings up that horrible memory, like of whenever I go back, like into the education system. But at the same time, I don't want to get myself. This is more so an economic standpoint. I don't want to get myself in debt because I'm already strained for money as it is. Right.
2: Right.
0: Right. So, I'm um, sorry. I just maybe I missed if there was a particular question or something for me to respond to. If you could just rephrase oh. that. Sorry, I think
3: I was just rambling. But at, I'm kind of um, how do I put it? I'm just kind of upset about how the education system is at at its point, and how I try to just the people that schooling, as it is, it's wrong. It's immoral. Like you shouldn't force like kids to these. Like prison households and I try to address this to some people it's like no 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 they they got to go to school and all that and my question is how do you try to like overcome that barrier it, it's it's again it's a sense of patriotism' it's like you've got to send your child to school otherwise they're not going to get anywhere in life
0: well I mean again just to maybe this could be the theme of the show it's not about what yeah. it's about right people are just pretending oh. that's what it's about so if you say to somebody that uh, you know government schools are you know bad and destructive and so on right then what do you think they might be getting out of that that's not an abstract philosophical discussion what would their experience
3: be so again this kind of relate into their own personal relationships if they were to like suddenly change their thinking methodology
0: right yeah, I mean, so the things that pop into my mind, right? So if I heard this and I was your average statist, then a whole bunch of things would pop into my mind. First of all, I would say, oh, so you're basically saying I can't think. I don't know how to think because I went to government schools. And so you're saying I've been indoctrinated. I don't know what the hell's going on. So I'd be upset and offended at that. Because you see, offense is so much easier than, than thinking. Right? so if people can get offended that they don't have to analyze anything they don't have to review anything they don't have to look at any facts they can just substitute offense for argument it's really it's an ad hominem against the argument itself it just allows people to avoid and so if people get offended when you say that state schooling is indoctrination that actually confirms the thesis because offense is what you are trained into when you're indoctrinated you're trained to be angry offended and upset by particular questions or or perspectives, and that is, an, that is a complete example of indoctrination, so people who will get offended by that are only confirming the diagnosis of indoctrination, so that would be one. The second thing would be, okay, so my parents put me into these terrible schools and praised them the whole time, and my aunt is a teacher, and you're saying that these people are all somehow enmeshed in some monstrous plan to indoctrinate children for the sake of our reptilian lizard masters or something, and so they'd, get, uh, they'd feel bad about that. And, of course, if they themselves have children, then they've put those children into these government schools. They feel bad about that because if they accept your argument, what are they going to do? Well, they have to pull their kids out of government schools or they have to start teaching them about some actual truths in the world which is going to cause them to run into lots of conflicts with their teachers and perhaps their children with other people's children uh, and so on. And so they just kind of want to dodge and avoid that. And, of course, government schools are daycares. I mean, they're prisons, in a way, and they're daycares, in a way, because it allows, I mean, obviously, inconveniently, but it allows parents to drop their kids off uh, and then go to work, where they can pay taxes uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> feed the beast called the state. And so, people have structured their lives around, well, you know, my kids go to school, and then, they, you know, there's a daycare tacked on to the end of the school day, so I'll drop them off at 7.30 in the morning, and I'll pick them up at 6.30 at night, And that's the way I've structured my life. And I've bought a house and have a mortgage payment and a car payment based upon all that kind of crap. And so if you're telling me that I'm actually doing harm by my children to put them in daycare, to put them in, in government schools then I'm going to have to change my life significantly and that's going to bring me into conflict with other people. So I'm going to sit there and I have to go to my aunt and my aunt's going to say, oh, I hear that my aunt who's the teacher is going to say, oh, I hear you pulled your kids out of school. Why is that? Have you become some fundamentalist Christian and is it too secular for you? be like, no, it's because it's funded on coercion and based on indoctrination. <gasps> What are you saying, (laughs) says your auntie? Are you saying that I have somehow been doing harm to these wonderful children who I love so much and would lay down my life for to educate them properly and bring them up as wise, caring, virtuous citizens? Yes, exactly! I mean, this is the Thanksgiving dinners that you can look forward to if you accept this argument. And your children, of course are, you're going to have to say to your kids, listen, we're pulling you out of school. Why are you pulling us out of school? Well, it turns out it's an indoctrination farm. Oh, really? I quite like it there. My friends are all there. I don't want to leave. Bleh! Right? So, you've got to quit your job. You've got to move out of your house. You've got to go from one car, from two cars down to one car. You've got endless conflicts with your family, and your kids don't want to be pulled out of school because that's all they've known. Plus, you have to apologize to them for the harm that the school has done to their brains, which you've supported. Before... And this is just the tip of the iceberg. So you stack all of that stuff up against. That's what people hear, and that's what the dominoes that go off in their brain when they hear government schools are bad. It is a complete reorganization of their life. And the most terrifying thing, I argue the most terrifying thing that they're going to experience is they're going to experience the degree to which their relationships are based upon intolerance. Intolerance. I think that I'm pretty open-minded. I've certainly had people on my show and on the message boards and all over the place who come up with some arguments that I find pretty appalling. Uh, But, you know, I mean, offense is not the answer to a bad argument. Offense is uh, a confession of an incapacity to deal with a bad argument. It is um, throwing your sword off a cliff and thinking you've won the duel. But... um, The degree to which, so if you think for yourself, you actually have an identity, you have a soul. Your soul is sparked by original thought, by your relationship with the evidence and your capacity and willingness to use reason. That is what is called the personality. Everything else is just the emptiness of cultural bigotry that masquerades as a personality. So you have authenticity, you have uniqueness, you have a self when you think for yourself. And so If people say that they love you, then they must love something that is particular to you, not just the cultural habits that were indoctrinated or inculcated into you when you were a child. And so, the most terrifying thing that people are going to experience is when they say, you know what, I've just started thinking for myself, and this is what I think. Are people going to say, wow, that's great, we've been waiting for you to do that, because, you know, you were kind of a boring cultural stereotype before, and now you're actually thinking for yourself, that's wonderful, how can we help? Of course not, because if those people were around, they would have encouraged you to think for yourself years and years ago. And so the truth is that people like you when you have the depth and richness of a child's puzzle piece that can be fit into any convenient shape that they want. That's what people like, for the most part. And so when you start to think for yourself and you get some sort of depth and you get some sort of identity and you get some sort of authenticity and you actually become someone rather than repeating the dead echoes of dead others, well... How many people are going to be enthralled, enthusiastic, happy, and encouraged by your individuation, by you thinking for yourself, by you challenging the dead rolling <laughs> thunderball of anemic and rotted culture? They're not going to be very happy of that at all. And so they're basically going to start pushing, putting pressure on you to get back into the box, into the child's jigsaw box, into what is ever convenient for other people, and not threaten any of their Hidebound bound preconceptions as well. And I say this with a lot of sympathy. Because You know, I mean, a lot of people all gone through this kind of indoctrination for the most part. And so they're going to look at their relationships. They're going to say, okay, well, if I start thinking for myself, who's going to love me? Fundamental question. If I start thinking for myself, who the hell is going to love me? And that is a terrifying question for people. For on two levels. One, of course, is that they may recognize or realize how few people will actually love them for thinking for themselves but most importantly most importantly if you even ask yourself that question you've actually answered the question of how many people love you now and that's not a pretty answer for most people
3: right because I what can you say like, I pretty much enjoy my own company but it, loneliness doesn't really bother me so much as to others because I've always been like outside like the group um, social norm of most Areas, but another like why I tend to enjoy my own company because like my particular age, I'm like I said, I'm turning twenty around this year. People around my age group is like, oh yeah, party and all that, and I tend to try to, I tend to associate better with the people that are like ten or twenty years older than me, but yet they're still stuck in their old like thinking ways. It's like another brick wall again. So yeah, because.
0: Partying is the final exorcism that kills any remnants of the true self. And, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I actually quite like a good party. If there's, if there's good dancing and not too much drinking and, you know, all of that, you can, you can just you know, kick back and have a lot of fun. But when people say partying, they don't mean dancing, they don't mean, I don't know, fun, uh, fun games with, with language and, and, or even just sitting around creating funny jokes for each other. What they mean is drinking and drugs, right?
3: It's pretty much it, mainly just the drink, uh, Right, and, and this I, is
0: the embalming process for the remnants, right? This is how you drown the last fluffy kitten of the true self is in alcohol and, uh, and in drugs uh, and in various kinds of other addictions, whether it's gambling or sports or what have you. I mean, this is, you know, the last few remnants of the true self, you back the truck of um, – brain-destroying addictions and that's how this is how you make that last final transition from school to to adulthood and you need to to be drugged so that you don't feel the pain of the death of your soul i don't mean to put this in over dramatic terms but that's something that's been my experience and uh so you know i think it's 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 terrifying and horrifying Uh, i mean i went through a phase maybe i don't know two or three weekends when i was 16 or so where i'd go and get drunk uh, with some new friends <laughs> and i just couldn't i couldn't sustain it. it was too awful because i, I did I never 've never really felt lonely in the company in my own company, but i don't think I've ever felt more lonely when drinking with others because there's proximity like i don 't have all the pleasures of intimacy with myself boy that sounds that sounds pretty pretty, uh, pretty salacious doesn't it uh, um, let me see if I can find a way to rephrase that that doesn't have people thinking that I'm trying to start a little lawnmower between my legs But um, uh, pretty much
3: um, alcohol is a sense of escapism and you're like and you're pretty much pulling away from that escapism which is alcohol
0: okay let's, let's go with your way of putting it which I think is much okay. <laughs> less likely to be exerted as part of a rap video <laughs>
3: pretty much
0: but sorry, go ahead.
3: Yeah, but like I said, like I've, I've admittedly, like subconsciously, I've admitted that I've gone. I'm going through that phase, and I've like, but I've pretty much like taken the control steps, like uh, just going out, like I mean, like um, drinking. But again, it's a sense of escapism. Like I even dwell, like like into just TV shows, just a sense of escapism, just to like endure the same garbage I have to endure like during work and all my managers and all that just to get by day, day to day. So that's why I tend to like in my experience, time, I, like, um, dwell deep into philosophy as well as, um, like questioning the motives of others and what, what they tend to do with that.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, no, it is, uh, it, it is definitely, you know, going, going into the world of truth, um, is definitely stepping out the biosphere of culture. And uh, it looks a whole lot smaller from the outside than it feels on the inside, so I definitely sympathize with that process. Did you have another question? Have we got a bunch of other callers? Any other questions or comments that you'd like to chat about today?
3: Um, I won't be greedy, so I'll, I'll uh, probably, probably come in the chat room probably next week or something like that. So I'll, uh, I won't take up much more of Yeah, listen, fun, if you, you want to you
0: f- you know, ping down a couple of questions, uh, feel free to call back. Agreed? greed is good
3: (laughs) I just like well I've raised up like not to be greedy Uh, anyway I'm rambling so I'll let you go and let everyone else have a a talk to you and thank you very much
0: thank you so much and thank you for what you're doing for the world I know it's a, a lonely process but I genuinely believe that there's far better companionship and I've experienced that there's far better companionship on the other side of that desert there is a beautiful village here with a steadily growing population
3: Thanks again, Stefan. Thank you.
1: Right, next up, we have Nathan.
0: The Nathan.
4: I didn't get to do my standard mic check. And can you hear me okay, Steph? Yes. Excellent. Um, I'm going to make the show more upbeat than the previous two callers. How about that?
0: It's your choice. I will follow. <laughs> I am a slave to your impulses. <laughs>
4: Um, I hope you remember that we talked uh, a few weeks ago um, when I, uh, we, we had a one-on-one regarding um, philosophical parenting practices. Yes. Um, so I really just wanted to tell you that uh, your advice was incredible. Um, it's worked out very, very well. It's worked out for uh, – I'm picking up your habits, by the way. I can't just say very
0: or very, really, very well. And you very, can't just very, say something one time, you have to say it 12 yes. times with ever-escalating metaphors that make increasingly less sense.
4: Yeah, go on. <laughs> this is really, really, really important.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And, and trying to move towards new speak, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really double plus important. Anyway, go on. <laughs> um.
4: So uh, so it's worked out very well the clock thing was was magnificent um that's and and it's actually gotten to the point now where we don't even have to rely so much on the clock because we've gotten into a schedule pattern and and she's more readily admits when she's tired
0: because she can um, see it coming it's not just an imposition of will on your point she can see the clock getting closer blah 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 right right oh yeah fantastic
4: yeah that's worked. that's worked really well so did your advice on um having her, uh, having her pay more attention to the fact that she can't decide what somebody else likes. Uh, that's worked really well.
0: Can you give me um, an example?
4: Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, I was talking about, uh, on the original call, I was talking about her, um, basically rough housing with her brother. Uh, she has, we have a, a, a son who's seven months old and, uh, at the time, I guess it was six cause it was about a month ago. Um, and she was playing with him a bit rough and saying, "Well, no, he likes it." When I told her to stop, and um, your your story about uh, Izzy and uh, her jacket um, was just a, a great a great frame for how to move forward with her in uh, in discussing her experience with him and and uh she, we've gotten her away from the tendency to say you know oh you like this or he likes that or or anything like that um where she can't make those decisions for for other people so that's uh that's worked out well um so thank you again for that and um since our talk i've actually had the chance to go back and listen to the entire philosophical parenting podcast series which i hadn't before we talked before and i really wish i had because there were there were some things in there that um I, I, w- I think I would have taken to heart better during our original conversation, uh, the most important of which was the sort of emergency ethic uh, treatment uh, when it comes to things like uh, diaper changes and so forth, where, where you, you are anticipating the future uh, voluntary agreement with something that they're struggling with now. And I think you mentioned in the, in the podcast that you had gone through that with, uh, with Izzy with sleep training.
0: Yeah, will, will she thank us in the future for what we're doing now? And I think that's, that's sort of the standard that I try to work by. And there have really been very, few, very very few times where that's even come up. But I, of course, I needed a philosophical way of approaching it that justified my random exercise of power. No, I'm kidding. But, but yeah, I'm glad that was helpful. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure you treat it as a measure of last resort. Oh, completely. Absolutely, and completely. And uh, other than sleep training, I really think, I'm trying to think there have probably only been two or three times where... I've had to exercise that kind of power, uh, and um, so it's, it's incredibly rare, uh, but, but again, I mean, it's within the bounds of parenting, and so you need to have uh, some way of understanding it um, to, to make sure that it's, it's a valid thing to do.
4: So the, the thing that I wanted to bring up specifically on today's show was when I got to the fifth podcast, and you were responding to the letter from a listener uh, from a woman who had four kids, and uh, one of the things that she had brought up was uh, that the strategies of philosophical parenting don't necessarily apply once you put siblings into the equation um, because you you can't necessarily have one child treating the other child morally. Um, and I thought it was really interesting to listen to that with so much hindsight um, now that i now that I have two kids um because I, I actually disagree with her uh with her premise um i find that absolutely my daughter reflects our behavior towards her brother mm. there there's just there's just simply no question about it and we the more gentle we are with him uh the more gentle she is with him the uh the more gentle we are with her the more gentle she is with him and um it's been and, I, and I'm, I'm a little sorry that you haven't had a chance to experience this yet, quote yet. You know, maybe, maybe it's something you'll, you'll decide to do later. Um, but to see them interact is just such an incredible thing.
2: Mm.
0: Right. And, and people say this, um, uh, I, I sort of experienced this a little bit with Izzy. She loves animals, of course. So we were over at a friend's place and the friend has, has two cats and a, a beautiful baby. And so, you know, how does Isabella approach a cat. Well, she just wants to, you know, run up and grab it and give it a big hug, the way she would with, with us. But we have to instruct her and show, you know, okay, we go up slowly, let the cat sniff you, and, you know, slowly give it a tickle and be very gentle. And, and she is. She's very, very, very gentle. But that's how we show her, and that's how we would we, we consistently treat animals uh, in our lives. And uh, so you know we took her to a horse farm she she brushed a horse and she fed a horse carrots and sugar cubes and all of that and you know she has to she doesn't have any particular instinctive understanding of what it's like to be a horse right i mean unless she had one in a past life which we're still trying to figure out but uh, it is if you understand that a child will treat an animal the way that you treat an animal and that you instruct the child to treat the animal and the degree to which you're consistent with your instruction of course uh, but i mean that's i think Fundamentally the same approach that it would be with with siblings is that is that fair to say you have more experience of course with siblings than i do
4: um i i do i mean i think there's a there's a um there's a certain lack of understanding of physics that that is still involved sure um so so there will be things that where there's there's absolutely no malicious intent um but the behavior is dangerous or harmful um uh, you know yesterday she and i were throwing uh throwing a ball back and forth and uh her brother was next to me and so she decided oh well maybe he wants to play ball with us and she threw the ball at him and of course at seven months he can't catch a ball or anything like that he just takes it in the face Um, and so i have to explain to her that that no that, that he can't catch the ball he's still too little but there's there's no there's no malice or anything involved, and it's she's just trying to include him in, in what we're doing.
0: Yeah, it's actually it's an act um. of kindness. But of course, and of course, she can't empathize with seven months because nobody can remember seven months. She can't remember right. that, right? So, right. so um, I mean, Isabella's quite fascinated by the stages the baby's going through. Is the baby learning how to walk? Is the baby learning how to roll over? Can the baby talk yet? Um, because she's asking for stories about that, and I think that's because she's around younger kids now. She can't remember some of the stuff herself, so she asks the stories about it, so she can empathize with them through her own history through the stories that we're telling her. Uh, I think that's the approach that, that she's taking, and I think it's working out really well.
4: It it, it does. It also works out well in, in the in the sibling case um, to even proactively explain that. So we'll we'll tell Meta that Axiom. Is working on crawling or working on walking, or uh, as he whatever he does, that's the next progression, and, and let her know that there was a time when she was still doing those things. Um, meta we'll, and axiom, we'll, uh, those correct? are
0: the names. Uh, yes, cool. That's very. Uh, <laughs> I must say, those names are both very meta. So good for you. <laughs> very interesting.
4: Yes, uh, um, axiom was a was a, a bit of a joke. Um, well, not a joke in. It, <laughs> It came about in a, in a funny way. Um, uh, my middle initial is T, and my last name is Freeman. And so sometimes people will ask me, well, what does the T
0: stand for? And I tell Total. them, Sorry. the. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. 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 Whereas um, people say, so, what's your middle name? And I say, well, it's a spice. Anyway, go on.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was joking with my wife about, well, if, if we had a son, we'd have to make his middle name the – for real, it would have to be on his birth certificate. So what could be his first name that would live up to his middle name and last name being The Free Man? Right, um, right. And uh, I just threw Axiom out there as a lark, and, and she loved it. She loved the way it sounds. She loved the way it's, it's abbreviated because we and, can call and, him Axi. And if he, ever,
0: yeah, if he ever joins a gang, the fact that his short name will be Axe is going to yes. make him about as tough an ombre as you could imagine. <laughs> 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 no, and I sort of wanted to mention somebody because somebody wrote to me about um, – uh, I didn't get around to reading it as a letter, at least not yet, but it said, you know, like, I have, I have five kids. So how does peaceful parenting work with the five kids? I don't have the time. And, of course, the reality is it's not the fault of each of those five kids that you chose to have five kids. You've got to make the time. Uh, you have to make the time. A lot of parents will end up blending their kids in together. I don't think this is the case with you. But you have to have one-on-one play with each of your kids every day, I think, where it's just you and that, that kid, even if it's ten minutes to to so that the kid doesn't feel like part of a general sea called children you know with 10 arms and 10 legs and opening open chirping bird mouths that you shovel food into before you herd them off to play somewhere else or you play all collectively you know kids do need that really they need that one on one time with the parents
4: I, I agree completely and and it also it also tends to, to mystify me and i suppose some families do this well um but when they go well i have 5 kids so it, logistically it just takes up all this time and there's all this involvement and all these difficult things but uh i find that there that there are a number of things that are easier having two kids i mean meta is just at the age she's a little younger than than isabella and she's just just at the age where she can really lend a, a material hand mm-hmm. when it comes to to dealing with her brother so if if he is in his high chair and he drops something on the floor, she can pick it up. We don't have to necessarily go do it. Or if it's a time for a diaper change and we forgot the powder in the other room, she'll go get it and bring it back to us. Right. Um, and as and as I imagine, someone with five kids, you know, they're probably at least five years a, a year apart each. Um, There has to be some logistical point. If they they weren't at least
0: that far apart, there'd just be a smoking crater where the mom's vagina used to be. So, (laughs) (laughs) constantly setting off smoke alarms everywhere you go, and people sort of yell down at your feet and get an echo. I mean, that would just be horrendous. Anyway, sorry, go on. I could make jokes like that for about an hour, so I sort of have to restrain myself from continuing. And we should
4: probably—I should probably again not be too greedy and let a let another caller get on who might actually have a question instead of just want to chat about how cool it is to have kids. Um, <laughs> no, listen. But, I mean, uh, I
0: think it's. I think it's fantastic, and um, uh, it is. Um, it is. You know, it really works. You know, it's. It's one of these counterintuitive things. You know, like uh, people say that anarchism is counterintuitive. Well, it certainly is, but uh, it works. And respectful, peaceful parenting with extra special human sauce added to the <laughs> uh, to the dessert called the child. Uh, it really, uh, it really works. And um, you know, I was just. Noticing this today, we went for some for, for brunch with some some friends who have uh, kids, and they 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 all took Izzy to go get um, uh, lollipops and stuff. And you know, Izzy will ask, and she will actually ask both of us if she can have a lick of the lollipop. It's not a rule; you have to come and ask us. But you know, we ask her about everything. We ask each other about everything. Is this okay? Is that okay? Is okay if we? And so she comes to ask us if she can have a lick of the lollipop. And that's just kind of counterintuitive because you think, well, you'd have to really nag a kid to oh, you you can't, you have to come and ask us. And if you don't come and ask us, we're going to take that lollipop away and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't work that way. If you you consult with the child, the child will consult with you. If you consult parent to parent, the child, that's just, you know, in the same way they don't invent their own language. If you point at something and call it a cat, they don't start speaking Klingon. And if you have a language called consultation and respect for the other person's preferences and wishes, that's just what they grow up speaking. You don't need any threats to bring that behavior about, any more than you need to threaten a child to call a cat a cat if you say that's a cat. Of
4: course. I, I did want to ask you one thing. Um, now that I just thought about it, in the context of everything you just said, I'm waving my arms around as if you can see me. I don't know why. I'm doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, w- what's your experience been now? Now that she's old enough to do it, what what has your experience been with with Isabella with regard to her playing and learning more on her own? Um, because I I know that as as Meta has gotten a little bit older, it's become much easier for us to let her sort of explore her own space and, and choose her own things to do and, and of course she always pays us the great compliment of wanting to have us involved but she's also willing to do things um, by herself uh, are you are you experiencing that same thing since they're very close in age is, oh, she, is that yeah,
0: she absolutely wants to do everything by herself right so we have you know, a ritual that if we go outside, then when we come back, she can have a little hot chocolate. So she wants to mix the hot chocolate by herself and stir it by herself. And she's, she's very <laughs> assertive about... Oh, same here. By herself.
4: I, Meta says it the same... She says it the same way every time. I do it all myself. Right.
0: And Isabella <laughs> used to say, I'm doing it all by my own. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's close enough. Uh, so, okay. Yeah, so she... And, and of course, you have to... A little bit, you have to grit your teeth, right? So if you're in a hurry and she wants to put her shoes on by herself... You kind of have to grit your teeth and give her that space. I, I don't want her to feel that her doing it by herself is second best. You know, like, I want to do it for you, and then if, if we have time or blah, blah, blah. No, her, her desire for mastery and competence over her environment and her skill set is very important. And she's very good at knowing what she can and can't do by herself. Uh, we <laughs> had some friends over the other night, and, <laughs> and Isabella jumped from the ottoman to the couch. I didn't even see her until she was halfway in the air, and I thought... No way! She can't make it! I was just about to get up and try and catch her, and she made it. And it's like, okay. I didn't think she could, but she could. Uh, and so she's very good at that kind of stuff. She definitely wants to do stuff by herself. She is having a problem taking instruction, uh, right? So she's starting to learn how to ride a bike, and she's having trouble taking instruction. She gets very frustrated quite quickly. So, you know, I've, I've sort of sat her down, and i said... Uh, look, Isabella, I, I get it. You really want to you really ride your bike. It's so cool to ride your bike. You've seen pictures, seen kids riding their bike. You really want to ride your bike. I get that. And it's really frustrating because you don't know how to do it yet. And even when I try and teach you, that's frustrating because you want to be able to do it by yourself. But I said, you know what's really cool about frustration? Frustration means that you want it, right? You're not frustrated because you can't climb a wall because you don't really want to climb a wall. But you are frustrated because you want to ride your bike. So half of wanting something is being frustrated when you can't have it. So like if you want a piece of candy and you can't have it for whatever reason, you get, right like, actually, she's really fine with that stuff. But so I was really trying to talk her, saying that frustration is actually a very healthy and it's, it's a happy part of life because it means you really want something and it tells you that it's, it, it's worth trying again. It's worth trying again. And so, you know, frustration is just part of wanting something. And I really wanted her to sort of get that. And since then, frustration has become, I've tried to make frustration more of a friend than an enemy because something's only frustrating if you don't give up. Once you give up, it's not frustrating anymore. And right, so I really wanted it. to get her to understand that frustration is, is a mark of desire, and it's a way of saying that you're going to try again. It's a way of getting you to want to try it again. And it's also a way of making sure you don't try it too many times that you're going to give up, because you get frustrated, and then you stop. And then you feel frustrated, because you want, and that, that means you're going to do it again. So I said frustration is a really great way of knowing what it is you want to do. And so I'm trying to really get her to make friends with frustration, because this is the phase you know, for the next Probably two or three years is going to be a series of things that are much more complicated than the stuff she's learned how to do organically. Learning how to read is not as organic as learning how to speak. Learning how to ride a bike is not as organic as learning how to walk or how to do a somersault because it's much more complex. And so for the next couple of years, she needs to find a way to make friends with being frustrated because it is going to be a constant companion of, uh, of the things that she's going to want to learn how to do. And so I can uh, tell you, I can, yeah. tell you used to, I can tell you used to be in software development. <laughs> Why is that? Because I wait, so go on
4: because <laughs> frustration is your friend.
0: Yeah. Well, frustration has to be your friend. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and there are times there are times when you give up and then it's like, ah, great relief. I just can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> and then you then I don't feel frustrated anymore. Frustrated is just I know I can do it. I just got to figure out a way. And that's what keeps you keeps you going. I have to
4: say I'm really surprised that you're teaching her to ride a bike at three. A tricycle? Sorry, no,
0: it's a bike with, um, it's got training wheels and all, right? But, um, ah, okay. she, she, I mean, she, she can already do a scooter, and so, I mean, that's sort of the, the next thing. Now, she can't ride it yet. I mean, she can be pushed around. She's sort of trying to figure out the pedals, but pedals are really complex, really abstract, because she's so used to direct manipulation. I throw this and it goes. But pedals are like, okay, well, I push with this leg and something weird happens to the wheel. I mean, what the hell sense does that make? It makes no sense oh, at all. And, uh, and then a, I've a got tricycle. to alternate, and if I push the wrong way, the brakes go on. I mean, what the he- – I mean, it's completely bizarre. It's completely – it.
4: A tricycle is a great tool to, to learn that in the first place because it's a, it's a direct turn mechanism from the yes, pedals to the wheel. Yes, she can There's
0: do a tricycle. And, yeah, she can do a tricycle, but uh, she really was keen uh, on trying to bike things. So, um, so yeah, I mean, but, but it, is, it is frustrating for her for sure, and um, uh, it's frustrating in a way that nothing – because it's much more abstract than stuff she's learning now so and and you can't um, repetition isn't going to do it right so repeatedly looking at a book is not going to teach you how to read whereas repeatedly learning how to walk teaches you how to walk and so this she's running up against stuff now where repetition isn't going to uh, isn't going to uh, isn't going to help her and stuff where it's not a progression right of obviously you turn over and then you crawl and then you you know, crawl and then you sort of walk hanging onto things and then you walk that's a, an organic and natural pro- progression that's not the case with with letters and, and words, and that's not the case with, I mean, these are just things that there's not a slow learning curve that seems almost imperceptible. There's like a big, steep, you've got to catapult yourself up with desire and, uh, you know, against the friction of, of frustration. So, uh, so, yeah, I really, really want to make her uh, more friendly towards her frustration because that is going to be a part of things. And I don't want her frustration to become aversive. I'm very, very sensitive to that because, and I, I sort of say I, but this is, of course, a co-parenting situation, because... She's, I mean, I'm, you know, I think I can say this fairly objectively. Because she's very smart, lots of stuff comes easy for her. And that's a challenge because it means that she's used to things coming easy for her. And what that means is that she's not, she's going to be more drawn towards the stuff that, I mean, like all of us, she's going to be more drawn towards the stuff that comes easier to her. Uh, but that's not a great habit to, to have her. Uh, inculcate in herself, right? So she needs to find a way to deal with frustration and to to recognize that just because something is difficult doesn't mean that you're slow. Uh, in fact, it, it means that it's usually a good place if it's worthwhile endeavor to conquer. But I don't, because she is, you know, um, so smart and so verbal and so on, I don't want her to focus, and she's, you know, very coordinated. I mean, she can do some gym- basic gymnastics. She's a good dancer. She gives us skating shows on the hardwood and stuff. She, she's really good at that stuff. She can do twirls and jumps, so She's really, I think, physically adept and and verbally adept, but the stuff that is tougher for her. And I want to sort of guide her towards that stuff that, so she doesn't end up being drawn towards the stuff that is as easy as possible for her and not develop any of those, uh, not develop as much the capacity to deal with some of the negative aspects of learning, like you know, excessive difficulty at the time and frustration and so on.
4: Well, I will. um, I'm going to try some of those uh, frustration techniques. Uh, myself and i will share with you uh, how they turn out
0: and also share with her when you're frustrated right because she needs to see like so she needs to see me deal with being frustrated as well
4: what does she need when when she is the object of your frustration is that a fair time to do it or would you avoid it in that situation and let her know i tell tell her because
0: what she needs from me the most is honesty appropriate like age appropriate honesty right Daddy's right. got an itchy butt and he can't reach it is not necessarily what I'm going to share with her, no matter how often it seems to happen. But, um, <laughs> but no, so you know, if, if, um, if it's taking us – you know what it's like. It's like, you know, it's like trying to blow a soap bubble against a strong breeze, getting a kid out of, of the house sometimes. And so if it's just taking forever because she wants to go and get another toy and this and that, and I'll say, look, Isabel, I'm frustrated. I'm getting frustrated. Uh, I want to go, um, and you know, we've now spent 20 minutes getting ready, and I'm, I'm frustrated now. And uh, here's what I would like, and, and so on. So I need to tell her when I'm frustrated uh, if I've you know just shoveled the driveway and it, it snows again. Uh-huh, it's a little frustrating, or whatever, you know. Or I, I'm trying to get something to work on the computer and it's not working, and she's there. I say, oh, that's frustrating, and I've tried this and I've tried that. So, you know, I don't want her to have to. if She didn't invent language in a vacuum, um, and she's certainly not inventing ethics in a vacuum. So why would she invent? Dealing with your emotions in a vacuum. She, she needs to see where that is occurring for me as well. So that she, does, so she understands it's a human condition. Frustration uh, is a human condition. And it's innately bound up with, with desire. And so, yeah, I, I remember I, I was trying to do something on the computer to show her something. And it didn't work. And I said... She said, Daddy, are you frustrated? And I said, no, because I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> like, I'm just, no. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not frustrated now because Daddy has given up. And then I went, of course, curled into a fetal position and bawled like a little schoolgirl, just so she understands exactly how you should deal with these things. But no, I mean, so I want to explain to her also that you can, you can pull the switch on frustration any time by just giving up. Uh, and that actually is a very rational thing to do at times. So. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, I, I don't want to hide from her my, uh, my experiences um, because, of course, I also want her to feel free to tell me when she's frustrated with me uh, because I need, that, I need that kind of feedback um, so that I can obviously adjust my customer service provision to more fully satisfy the uh, the prima donna. So, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I think, to be honest, uh, if she's frustrating me, yeah, I mean, she needs, she needs to know that. Um, it, and, you know, I say to her, this doesn't mean you have to do anything different. I'm just telling you that I'm frustrated. Now, of course, she usually does choose to do something different, but that's, you know, I'm, just, I'm telling you that I'm frustrated because otherwise she's, she's so perceptive. I mean, it's eerie. It's eerie. You know, if I'm feeling grumbly about something, she's like, Dad, are you sad? Again, it's almost like I don't even have to come in the room. She can tell it from the breath that comes in ahead of me. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the other day, it's so funny. I think, I can't, I don't think I've told the story. So this is a couple of months ago. Um, you know, she's got... She loves playing with candy, and she doesn't really eat it much, but she loves playing with it. But every now and then, you know, I'll grab one of the M&Ms and, and put it in my, in my mouth and eat it, uh, if I just want, you know, a little sugar hit or something. And uh, so she was playing away with her candies, and I was behind her. And, you know, like all good stealth parents, I, I popped a little tiny M&M in, and it was... I, I, you, you, like a, a bat couldn't have heard it. Uh, it, was, it was so silent. And... Um, I walked up to her at the table. She glanced up. It wasn't even a tenth of a second that she glanced up. And I wasn't chewing. It was under my tongue. I was just going to let it melt and enjoy a little bit of sugary goodness. She glanced up and said, Dad, what are you eating? And I'm like, how could you know? How could you do that in the back of your head? Do you have x-ray vision? Do you have some sort of superpower that I'm just not aware of? You must have gotten it from your mother because she knows that stuff too. But, um, you know, you can't hide that. It,
4: it was the look of smug satisfaction in your eyes.
0: I I thought I was covering that up pretty well. I you know trained as an actor. I you know I should
4: be able to handle the fooling
0: a two and a half year old. But I, I've, uh, I've, watched your, put, I've watched your I've watched your video podcast. You you wear your heart on your sleeve, man. <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess that's true. And apparently I wear my chocolate on my lips. So, but yeah, know you can't. So so if I'm frustrated, I you know I can't pretend that I'm not. And uh, I mean, I could, but that would just be confusing to her. And what that would teach her is that when you're frustrated, you should hide it from people. And I don't want her to hide her feelings from me. And so I can't give a, a UPB thing out called "Don't hide your feelings" and then hide my feelings. I mean, I could, but that's just not going to be good for her.
4: Okay. I, I, I'm again. I would be happy to talk about this for the rest of the afternoon, but there's uh, <laughs> yeah. I, the I want to let some the- other people get some questions in.
0: Yeah. Thank so, you so much. And listen, anytime you want to call in and keep me updated with what works and what doesn't, um, I would be, I would be more than happy to hear it because, uh, it's really great to hear from, from other people what's working as well. I would love to. Thanks well, man. All my best to your family. Thanks.
1: Bye. Bye. All right. Next up we have Mark. Hey Steph. Hello.
5: Hey, I'll just hop right in. Um, it mostly has to do with education and your plans for educating Isabella. Uh, right now, I'm covering my sister's maternity leave in her fourth grade classroom, so I'm experiencing some, uh, I guess you might call them possible situations in there. With having Those are
0: nine-year-olds, is that right?
5: Yes, okay. nine to ten-year-olds. Right. Um, I guess first I want to ask you, what's your general plan for educating Isabella? Because like, I was having conversations with other people about homeschooling, and um, they say, like, well, when you get into high school – you know, you're not as specialized as a biology teacher. So how are you going to blah blah blah? So like, it's so hard for me given the framework that I was born into, with my my mom being a teacher and whatnot. It's just like s- the way that school is is so ingrained in how you learn. Yeah. And I'm having a hard time understanding when Isabella gets past the gross motor. Past, you know, you're talking about the bicycle mechanics. When you you know what happens when you get to the when you're discussing physics or calculus. You know what I mean? Right. That's Right. Are you going to have the how do you, how do you go about educating her if that's what she'd like to do or?
0: i don't He's know I, I I wish I had an answer for you at the moment. Uh, the only thing I can say is that it would it would take circumstances i can 't even imagine to put her in public school so um you know i mean if if we'll we'll certainly give her the option if she wants to try school um, if there 's a good private school then we'll give that a shot uh, i think and if she doesn 't like school and wants to stay home then we'll we'll figure it out you know you 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 figure it out you know from other people i 've talked about we 've got um, some friends in the States uh, just started homeschooling their kids. Um, and you just, you, you figure it out. There are experts around. You hire people. Um, I talked about this with David Friedman as well with his kids. You know, if your kids want to learn cello, then you just, you hire a cello teacher to, to come in. And, uh, you know, if you don't know something about physics, you um, there are lots of documentaries, uh, there are lots of standardized tests, uh, and people who are them, either online or around. Or I mean, there's there's things that you can do to to figure to figure it out. Uh, I agree with you that it's not, uh, I think if this is your position, it's not as ideal as if there were a free market in education. Yeah, I absolutely exactly. agree. But, um, uh, so you have to sort of make, make the best with, with what's available, but uh, so far she has a very strong desire to learn, and... I was watching this show on 60 Minutes. I was watching 60 Minutes, which I haven't watched in like a year or two, but I was watching it the, um, I think last weekend, and there was a story about a kid who was um, turning autistic. He was sort of going into autism, never Neverland, and his parents just worked ferociously with him. And uh, please understand, I'm not trying to say that this solved the problem because, I mean, who knows what the hell's going on with autism, but... One of the results that that came out of this was he came back sort of into the world with an unbelievably ferocious capacity for science and math. So he's currently, I think he's 12 or whatever, and he's going into his PhD uh, at some Ivy League college. Oh, yes, yes, I saw that. Yeah, Yeah. so, I mean, there's a pretty unusual uh, educational (laughs) situation. I mean, the kid went through six grades worth of material, I think, in 18 months or something like that. Uh, he taught himself uh, calculus on, on his own, just cracked the books and just ground his way through it. Uh, his parents certainly don't have PhDs in all of this material, but they found a way. They, they just found a way. If the, you know where there's, I really believe that where there's a will, there's a way. And I've also found okay, that
5: resources too. Yeah,
0: there's yeah, way more resources now than there would have been, you know, even 20 years ago or maybe even 10 years ago. So there's lots of compa- there's lots of um, self-directed learning capacities available uh, for for people and. Um, I believe, given her drive for competence and mastery over various topics and skills, I don't see that that's necessarily going to abate. I mean, I still love learning new things, so I hope no, that's going to be part of it.
5: I was a kid that spent most of my time in the hall. I'll tell you that much. So, like, and I, I'm very good. If I want to learn something, I go learn it. Uh, Skimmed by in school with like a three-five, not even trying, didn't turn in homework, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. so I totally yeah. get that. Like, I'm good at what I'm interested in. Um,
0: Right, and the stuff that you're not interested in, in a sense, why bother studying it until you get interested in it? Because I'll play the game well enough free- to
5: get through the freaking system.
0: Right. Yeah, I know that was certainly my approach. I mean, I didn't do any homework uh, throughout high school. I would study a little bit for tests here and there. But, um, but now, I mean, that had some advantages for me, um, but it also had some disadvantages in that I th- there are some things that you really can't learn very well without doing the homework. So I think in particular, well, know, that's limited right in that math point. and science, right? I'm
5: right yeah. at that point, Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't recommend it. I mean, I my non homework thing was just because my home life was too chaotic and stressful, and I had yeah, jobs. Yeah, kind of goes that. back
5: to which you don't want to encourage Isabella to, to only do things that she's good at, and then to shy away with things that get hard because you know.
0: Right, right, right. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I wish I had a plan. I don't. Um, but that to have so a plan, plan would. Be, would so, so To have a plan would be to say I know what what is best for Isabella's education. Not exactly, right?
5: but it, it would. Yeah, so I guess my understanding I'm getting is that you're saying in your letter like. I heard you mention in middle school there's so many hormones going on that you wouldn't want to sit them down. So essentially, she's just going to ha- you know go to bed at a quote unquote reasonable hour. So you know you will, she'll probably learn that by the time she'd be middle school age. But she um, would just wake up and do what she kind of likes, and you facilitate whatever she wants to do. That is that kind of what I'm hearing.
0: Well, that's one possibility. Uh, I don't know. Um, again, I don't know um, because so much is going to be dependent upon what she prefers and also what she's drawn to. So. I you know I know that there is an unschooling approach, which is where the kids do what they want, and um, I mean we'll we'll just have to you know we'll have to surf that way, um, yeah, you know we'll have to surf that along uh, and and ride that ride with with her involvement
5: God. so uh okay, this is kind of a, a question that's attached to that me being teaching fourth grader right and now I start to see these kind of hypocrisies and i and I see myself crossing them almost necessarily, it sounds necess- bad but say necessarily.
0: What uh, Um, what sort of hypocrisies?
5: So you have a kid who's clearly been hit by his dad. He had poor parental experience, and he's um, what one if one wanted easy out classify him as ADHD. He moves around a lot. He wiggles and jiggles a lot. Um, He gets in conflicts with other kids easily. He doesn't follow direct. You know, one of so very inconvenient person to have in a public school system. Oh yeah, by no means bad kid. Very inconvenient. So when you have a ratio of um, twenty to thirty kids at once, this one kid. Uh, inconvenient behavior can become increasingly inconvenient and and disruptive from the other kids so you've got to do things like um you don't want to say like get to the hall but you say okay i'm gonna you you lay the framework if i have to warn you more than two times i'm gonna move you over here if i have to warn you more than two times over here i'm just gonna that you're not ready to be a part of the group you're taking away and you come back in when you feel that you can you
0: can um not be a distraction Uh, and that's also because the, the costs of bad parenting are socialized right I mean, yeah, if, that this, if this right, that, that's a real tragedy. This is one of the reasons why parents don't change. Is It, just doesn't, it doesn't directly financially cost them to put a troublesome kid in the school. It may cost them that time. It may cost them some stress. But period. if your kid needs five times the teacher resources of other kids, then surely you should be paying more for the teacher's salary. And maybe that would cause you to reevaluate your method of, quote, discipline. Anyway, exactly. I just want to Only mention so much that. Too
5: much resource you have. That's what right. I'm starting to see. And that's what puts me in impossible situations because then this kid is, again, from an authority figure – Obviously, being excluded over and over again, and I tr- you try to do it in the most the most uh, logical like way, like if-then statements, and you lay out the framework ahead of time. But naturally, the girl who's much uh, biologically more wired and able and had a better childhood, able to sit in her desk, is not going to receive that type of attention, negative attention from authority, or perceive negative attention. And there are so yeah. Like I
0: wonder, I wonder how many kids would keep spanking if it cost them five times the, the, yeah, the uh, of education. No, no, what I mean is like, so the teacher would say, oh, okay, so your kid's been spanked and she says she's been spanked, so oh, yeah. you're going you to have to pay us you know, $20,000 instead of $4,000 per year. Do you really think that uh, parents would say, yeah, I'm willing to spend an extra $16,000 a year to get my kid educated just to have the satisfaction of spanking? No, I think they'd say, hey, let's look into some peaceful parenting alternatives and save ourselves $16,000 exactly. $16, a year. So I've
5: come to the
0: conclusion, like, I don't I really, I got an early childhood
5: degree. I got a, a major in education, and generally, I find that most people want well for the kids. I mean, the teachers, a lot of them. They, don't get me wrong. There's a spectrum. Anytime you have a profession, there's crap to good. That's just how it goes. Uh, but you know, generally, teachers fairly. I find them fairly benevolent, willing to help. Uh, generally kind outside of the work environment. Like they don't seem like terribly evil. Like they're not trying to propel an evil system. They know it's corrupt too. And what I'm trying to say is, it is it effective to work like within the system, almost knowing the rules so well, knowing when you're able to break them, you know, knowing which rules you can break and which ones you have to adhere to. you kind of like paying your taxes. Okay, I have to teach teach stuff that's going to be on this test, or else I will lose my job.
0: Well, okay, look, let's go back to the teachers thing for a sec,
3: okay.
0: um, because this could be a very deceptive thing in the world. And again, I'm not trying to give, I'm not trying to paint any particular individual, of course, with any color, but I just sort of want to point this out. So. You know, the teachers, you say, are nice people and they want the best for the kids. Okay, well, maybe that's, uh, maybe uh, that's the case, right? And look, I'm sure a lot of them are very nice because when people get what they want, they tend to be quite nice. Yeah, right. <laughs> but if you were to say to the, 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 the teachers, uh, listen, uh, in order for the quality, like if some politician, let's say Ron Paul gets in, whatever, right? And, and mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just really going out on a limb. I don't know what the hell the political yeah. structure of the U.S. educational system is. But let's say Ron Paul gets in and he goes to the teachers and says, okay, you've got to give up your summers off. You, you have to. I mean, it's archaic. It's ridiculous. No other profession in the world gets it. Uh, it's a leftover from the agricultural days, and it's really bad for the kids. If
5: an increase in pay, it would be fine. Sorry? If there was an increase in pay, there would be fine. It would be fine, I think.
0: Well, um, and, and unfortunately, uh, your, your uh, pensions are vastly underfunded, and we're hugely in debt, partly because we've been paying you too much. And so we're no longer going to choose what to pay, the parents are going to choose what to pay, because we're not going to have property taxes, so we're going to let the parents choose what to pay. And look, if the parents want to pay you exactly the same, and give you the summers off, and have their, you let their kids out at 3.15, though they don't get out and work till 5, that's, you know, obviously that's their choice. Um, but, we, you know, if these parents would be willing to to give up summers off, and, and you know not getting paid so much, and... And, you know, some I've seen some studies where the teachers are basically working two and a half to three hours of actual teaching a day, which is pretty nutty uh, for the amount of pay they get, the amount of benefits they get, the amount of time off they get. Um, you know, So, yeah, if they're getting what they want, they got job, permanent job security, summers off, uh, you know, pretty decent pay, great benefits, uh, professional days off and, you know, they only have to work a couple of hours a day. Well, yeah, okay, so they're pretty happy and they're pretty nice people. Uh, the question is, what happens if that situation becomes voluntary? What happens if they actually have to deal with the, um, the consequences of a free market situation? Would they be out there rioting and, and shaking their fists in the face of everyone saying, uh, you bastards, you know, this is not what we signed up for? You know, w- would, they, would the pleasant and genial mask fall down if they weren't being paid off all the time? Uh, I would guess it would, but you, again, you know the situation better than I do.
5: I think it's worthwhile to ponder, but I do want to say that from my experiences personally and from witnessing other people's, uh, you know, oftentimes I'll work six to seven days a week. So, yeah, you do. I haven't I haven't. This is my first year in it. So I haven't experienced what it's like to be a teacher, teach and then have a summer off. But um, what I've experienced and what I've seen is that people put in a lot more time you don't see before and after school that isn't on the contract hours.
0: Well, certainly um, when they're starting out, but I think as they move up, right? I mean, they, yeah, the job used definitely. To
5: it. That's what I'm trying to say is the, the, the quality control is really hard, and it's, it's too hard to fire a teacher. I
0: was having a conversation
5: with my sister, but it's too hard to fire a teacher. It's too yeah, damn I mean, hard. It's effectively
0: it's impossible. Possible. I mean, you can even if the teacher molests a, a, a kid and is, is charged and convicted of it, that you still can't fire them. You can put them in these rubber rooms and give them pay for exactly. playing cards. So but that's yeah.
5: bullshit. That's bullshit. But. What again? So, what I'm trying to get at is: given the framework and the system, the structure, am I doomed to just uh, uh, do damage control on the amount that they get fucked up, or can I actually do good? So, is my goal to well, reduce what
0: do you think? the negative I mean, amount you're, of damage? You're, look, to- you're, you're in the environment, right? And I'm—I I was a teacher's aide, God knows how many years <laughs> years ago—and um, I worked in a daycare, uh, and um, this was certainly pre—mostly uh, pre—philosophy for me. So um, so I can't tell you uh, in terms of your, your experience in the environment. But what do you think? What do you think the answer to that question is? You can't fix a system from within it, for sure. Right? Yeah,
5: I think so, you so can do, what do you good, think? but you're going to have to do good by being super awesome to account for the times that you'll never really have to contradict your values. If that makes any sense.
0: Right. Okay, so you can bring sort of more peaceful and positive interactions Uh, although there will be times where you will do stuff that you don't want to do because of the regulations or what you consider not good, right?
5: Yeah, things that you have to do or it's like you lose job type stuff or things that you have to do or another kid, you know, the classrooms.
0: When when the ratio is
5: 1 to 20, it it can be pretty – people just have to obey rules and you can't always stop and explain them. You can explain them as a class, but if if one kid was breaking a rule each time and you – take the time to do what you do with Isabella. Okay, listen, I know frustration is bubble. Blah, blah. You can do that sometimes, but you can't do that every time because if you do that, then you have X amount of kids over here. It's a really big juggling act. And sometimes stopping and have that long, rational, logical conversation isn't something that's necessarily possible if you're giving your resources at that moment. Well, so but I mean, in my experience,
0: it. you can talk to a group of kids about, like say, oh, okay, who here gets frustrated? You know, yeah, when do you totally. get frustrated? Uh, oh. What does it mean if you get frustrated? If you give if you give up, does it still feel frustrating? Right, you can get them to have a general – I mean, I know that's not always easy because they're doing other stuff, but you can, you know, it's, t- it's time for circle time and talk about our feelings. Right, but I mean, obviously there is stuff that you can do even around those kinds of topics where you can engage kids in the beginnings of introspection, which is why I'm having the feeling that I'm feeling and what should my reaction be to it oh. if I want to achieve some particular goal.
5: And sometimes I'll stop the class and, and I'll say – Hey, listen, right now, I'm getting pretty frustrated here because, like, I don't want to be holding people in for recess and doing this, that, or the other. But, you know, I've got a, my job is to make sure we get through the day and we cover these topics. And I see a lot of people not using their time correctly. They're doing other things than what we're supposed to be doing so we can be on schedule. So I'm kind of frustrated right now because it's hard for me to do my job and I don't want to hold kids in for recess. So what can we do? And we just stop and people raise their hands and then we go back to it and it's usually much,
0: much smoother. Um, Right. Although they may not be that impressed by your desire to do your job. That's not their business. Exactly.
5: I mean, it's like, okay, I'm getting frustrated because you're not doing what I'm asking you to do. I mean, I get, that's what I'm talking about. That's like the inherent contradiction of it. Well,
0: yeah. And that, that of course doesn't hold up UPB wise, right? Because then they can say, well, we want you to not interrupt us. So you're not doing what we want to do. Right. So, I mean, that is the (laughs) challenge about how to communicate to kids about a goal that they actually want, uh, that, that you can share with them. Right. Um, and uh, in a way that they understand, given that they're much more into short-term gratification. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, but most I mean, say
5: Nintendo DS, to be honest with you. If so saying, what do you want um, to do? Um, oh, yeah. DS. yeah. Like, how you can I
0: obey you to get you off my back, right? Right. Right. It's not Sorry. exactly enrolling them into, uh, into a proactive solution that they can internalize and use for the rest of their lives, right? Yeah, I mean, so but you could but you can explore ways to to figure out how to explain to kids why they should do what you're doing by appealing to their self-interest. I mean, that's obviously a big challenge with a group of kids. but it is possible. Right. Sorry, go ahead.
5: Yeah, my experiences with doing that on such a I guess. It's hard. I mean, kids obviously. Hell, I have a hard time with delayed gratification sometimes. So so shit, if I'm trying to talk to a kid and I'm saying you need to read and write because you'll need you need to be literate for a job later on. That doesn't mean anything to them. I mean, it yeah, really, it yeah. doesn't. I mean, that's
0: like, I mean, what is so it? Like, what well, uh, only a third of Americans way- are saving for retirement and who they talk about kids' deferred gratification, right?
5: Exactly. So, like, you know, what a. Can you give me an example of, of an instance in which, like, let's say a kid was off task, but we were doing a writing assignment and he was uh, consistently chatting with his partner and he, you know, it's not like he was chatting here and there and getting his work done. Like, I have no problem if you're chatting. If you're chatting and you're, you're working at a steady pace, that's fine. Right. I get that. But if you're, all you're doing is chatting and there's nothing on paper.
0: Well, of course, the first challenge of authority is not dictation but questions, right? Yeah. For the first challenge of authority is to ask, not to dictate. What I do, so, so the question is, well, you know, why? Tell, tell me why. Why is this, uh, is this boring to you? I mean – and not sarcastic. I'm sorry. Are we boring you, right? But I mean no, – no. but why? So if a kid's consistently late, well, well why? You know, I mean I was – late for a lot of stuff when i was a kid and a teenager in school and this and that and nobody ever asked why they get pissed off and yell at me and whatever and punish me or whatever but nobody ever said well why are you late and yeah. uh, of course you know i mean i would have told the truth about my home life family situation financial situation the stresses the jobs the exhaustion all that sort of stuff but nobody asked right and and if nobody ever asks me i mean this was my fundamental problem with authority when i was a kid let's talk about me <laughs> right? Which is that nobody ever asked why I was doing what I was doing. Because there is a communication in everything that people do. Uh, you know, everyone comes with subtitles. Every, almost every action comes with subtitles. And so the question yeah. is, why is the child yeah. not paying uh, attention? Right? And, and look, you may get an answer that you don't like. You're boring. Okay, yep. tell me what it is I'm doing that's, that's boring. Tell me, you know. And look, I guarantee you, compared to an Xbox with a Kinect, you're boring. I'm boring. Yep. <laughs> Everyone, compared to the other stimulation that they can get by, you know, playing Wi-Fi air hockey over iPads, I mean, you, you, we're all boring uh, and and much less fun than the, you know, the endless rounds of, of Treehouse and, um, you know, direct-to-brainstem video stimulation from a variety mm-hmm. of sources, And so, yeah, okay, so, or, you know, I don't get why this is important. I don't care why this is important, Uh, you know, and and that's a challenge. I mean, that is a challenge. Mm -hmm. How do you explain to a kid, as you say, how do you explain to a kid why math is... I mean, I remember grinding my sorry ass through uh, algebraic division, you know, where you're working with letters, not numbers, sorry. And it was like, oh, my God, it took me forever to learn that shit. Yeah, I had and to go back
5: and learn fourth grade math, for God's sakes.
0: And I'm not, like, I'm not stupid. I just like, had no need for it. So I forgot it, naturally. <laughs> right, right. So, 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 I mean, I've ground my, way, ground my brain into dust learning how to do it. I actually, when I was, I don't know, I can't remember, 16, 15 or 16, I got so frustrated with always getting 55 in math. Uh, basically, it was a generous 55 called, let me not see your sorry ass again. <laughs> uh, I actually took grade 11 math. Again, voluntarily, just I thought, you know, because I'm constantly like, if I didn't learn the last year, I'm not going to learn this year, and all building up, so I took it again, and I got, like, I think I got a 78, and that helped a lot in terms, so I just sort of said, okay, I hate math, but I'm going to take this course again, because I've got to start understanding this shit, or it's just going to, you know, forever, right? And so, yeah, so, so the question is, well, why, why should I learn this stuff? So, you know, if I had gone to my math teacher and say, why, why am I learning algebraic long division, I've never used it again since. Never used it yeah. again since. And, and, and we've got calculators. So, like, yeah. i got a, I, I was a geek with a calculator watch. I've got a calculator watch. Why am I learning all this stuff? A I was—I was programming computers See, since yeah. I was 11. Why am I learning this stuff? There's no need to do it. It's like—it's like saying uh, you, we're going to teach you how to make your own paper. It's like I don't want to make my own paper. I want to go down to Grand Toy and buy some dead trees in a stack for a buck ninety-nine. Yep. And so the question is why? So if I had gone to my teacher, I guarantee you, he would not have been able to answer me. It's on the test. That's not, you know, that's begging the question. Why do you need to learn it? Because you're going to be tested on it. Well, that's not answering the question, right? That's because you got tested on something. Why do you choose this rather than that? Now, if you say, well, it teaches you reasoning skills.
5: Yeah, that's what right? I was going to
0: say. Yep. Okay, well, then why aren't you teaching me logic? Like, why are you teaching me reasoning skills through algebra rather than teaching me logic people think we can't teach you logic because we can't teach you logic because if we teach you logic you're going to ask us about god and if Mm -hmm. we teach you logic you're going to ask us about countries and if you teach you logic you're going to ask us about soldiers and and war and we can't go there we can only inflict logic on you in weird indirect ways through algebra and (laughs) geometry and and science like that sorry between
5: the scarring. It, it, you just need logic just enough but not too much where it removes the scarring. Or can right, yeah. You know, and, and
0: we have to teach you to be averse to logic by punishing you for unusable, inca- incomprehensible logic that is never going to be a future utility, which is going to bore the pants out of you. Basically, we're going to give you Pavlovian aversion to logic because everything that we teach you that is logical is going to be boring and horrible. And, of course, the way that you get kids interested in this sort of stuff – is with real world examples right so hey let's use logic to examine the question of gods well gods is pretty important to kids right i mean especially if they've been raised religious let's talk about it right let's talk about science
5: there's a jehovah witness in my class so that but you mean you you get a whole different set of political issues
0: you you yeah i mean you can't teach values in a government no you can't people are going to make your life hell right
5: i feel like my job is i'm i don't do you watch the biggest loser i do not have you seen the are you aware of the concept it's a weight loss show? It's a weight loss show where, where people go there to lose massive amounts of weight and the, the trainers drill them and all this, that, and the other. And I feel like...
0: <laughs> Sorry, that's just a funny way of putting it. It is.
5: No, it's, it is. Like, Obviously, uh,
0: if the women get drilled, right. they might be gaining weight. But anyway, go on. Sorry.
5: <laughs> um, so, no, I'm less, and less am I adopting this idea that teachers are like these virtuous, noble, blah, 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 blah. That died off a while ago. But no longer do I kind of buy into that. And I'm more starting to think that I am a... Um, drill sergeant for x y and z skills and my you know my goal is to inflict those as painlessly as possible however knowing that there is pain going into it
0: well yeah look i mean the only thing that i will say is that if if you stay in your current environment yeah i have no question no doubt that there's good that you can do right i mean to to take a completely extreme example right then some of the germans who stayed in germany during the nazi time got to hide jews yeah right yeah, that would be taking too. the kind of courage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean it's a completely extreme example, but I'm just sort of pointing out that staying in even the most evil environment conceivable, you can do some good. Um, mm-hmm. But but here's the reality. Look, you are going to be pretty censored, self censored. There, right? Yes. So if uh, any religious questions come up, you're going to have to shut your ass quick, right?
5: it'll just be, this is, not a place where, this is not a place where we can discuss this.
0: Right, which is going to... Why <laughs> yeah, can't discuss this? So basically, so basically you're going to say, well, this really important question of knowledge is completely inappropriate to a place of education.
5: Well, yeah, because, yeah, you're not, you're not necessarily, yeah, exactly.
0: No, but you understand. So, so this piece of knowledge that you desperately want to acquire is inappropriate to a place where you're supposed to learn something important.
5: I would tell them to Google it. Maybe that would be my, be- that would be like my, my, the easiest way for me to, to help out. Like, I don't know, go to free to radio. No, I couldn't even say that.
0: But yeah. <laughs> no, it's how- not really a very child friendly curriculum. Indoctrination. Hey, come on, man. They'll start tithing. It'll be great. Uh, no, but you see, so- and this is going to show up a lot, right? Or, yeah. you know, if, uh, if any kid asks you, what do you think about spanking? What are you going to say?
5: Well, I'm going to tell them uh, I don't
0: believe it's correct. Which is not true. It's not a belief, right?
5: It's not – research shows it's, it's an inadequate way uh, of raising a child
0: peacefully. Inadequate? Inadequate? See, you've got Weaselworth it's, coming out already. And I'm not, I'm not right, criticizing you. I'm, I'm it's not, a you shitty
5: know. way that produces really bad results. And it's well, it's, you
0: know, it's, a, it's abusive and it's directly harmful to the child. Uh, and uh, it's um, – you know, it results usually from parents who hit themselves who haven't done anything to deal with their trauma. Yep. It, but it's got nothing to do with with. Actually, educating children. I mean, it's just a way for angry parents to unload. I mean, look, and I, I'm not suggesting you would ever say, say that. I mean, that, but this is the point. Yeah, like, the fact, fact that is that I can't say it. that. You can't say it's that. not a Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, you can't say um, your parents are forced to pay for my salary. <laughs> yeah. Right. You you can't say that you you are you are forced to be here. You have no choice in the matter. To the kids, right? You can't tell them any of the basic truths about their environment. And you also can't say, there's a huge amount of stuff that I would like to teach you that would be absolutely essential for your life, which I absolutely cannot do. about their environment. Right? Yeah. And look, again, I'm not saying that you should say it, but this is the reality is that you can't.
5: I'm just realizing this is, yeah, school is not a place, school is a drill sergeant place for math, reading, and writing. That's essentially yeah, what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's not a place for real questions. It's like if you wanted to learn how to dribble with your left hand, I would just drill into you how to dribble with your left hand. I wouldn't ask, you. I would, it wouldn't answer any other basketball questions. It would just be, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a whole education era, it's just a yeah, very… Yeah,
0: school is a place where you learn that knowledge may have utility, but it never has value. It never has values. It never contains anything that is applicable to your life in a day-to-day sense. And you can never learn anything that is true or virtuous or or that will make you happier. It is a place where you may learn some knowledge that has some utility. Yeah, calculate a percentage. Yeah, Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. You can do that in your life. But it is not a place where knowledge has any importance, like fundamental importance. It may have utility. Yeah. Like, you know, if if someone teaches me how to hammer a nail into the wall when I'm a kid, that has value. And I'll do that a couple of dozen times throughout the course of my life. And I'll be happy that I know how to do it. But it doesn't make me a better person. It doesn't make me a happier person. It just means I've got some skill, some utilitarian skill that I can do. But I haven't learned anything of any real value. Like nobody would say, you know, you don't go to the priest and say, priest, I'm, uh, I, father, I'm, I'm miserable in my marriage. And you will say, listen, I'm going to teach you how to hammer a nail in, <laughs> And that's going to make you happier. No, you can recognize that as completely unrelated. And uh, so, yeah, for, for learning particular utilitarian things, uh, it's, you, know, you can do it, but it's not going to teach you anything uh, of any real value or importance or meaning that's going to make I your think, life better or happier. Yeah, and
5: that's the thing is, I'm not in it because I think those things are important. I'm in it because it gives me six, seven hours a day with kids where at least I get to know... The, who I get, I get to be, have, a, have a relationship with the authority figure who's in charge of, of, of running the show. Right. And so from I, that I,
0: standpoint, I've, I genuinely... Look... <laughs> My, my, uh, I never tell people what to do. I mean, obviously, that they, yeah. they, they, but the important thing is to just be fully aware of the choices. So yeah. the good that you can do, yes, no question uh, that you can do some good. I have no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, and I want to thank you, for, you know, for being where you are and for considering what you're considering. But you need to be conscious of the limitations, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and you need to be conscious of what you're going to have to avoid. And you need to be conscious or at least imagine what it's going to be like year after year having to avoid that which you consider most important and most yeah. essential. Now, if you can do that, and I, certainly I can see value in that, and I, you know, nobody can tell you whether that's the right or wrong decision for you except for you. But just be conscious of what you will not be able to do. Now, I'm not saying that if you, if you go do some other job, you probably won't be able it's to say okay. it there either, right? So it's not a lot of it's jobs where much- you can say that. I not even a one, job, it's uh, You awesome. know, a few other people have them, but there's not many jobs where you can just, you know, light up the sky Stand-up with the truth, right? Yeah.
5: <laughs> Stand up comics about it.
0: <laughs> maybe, like yeah, something. maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. Certainly, George Carlin and other people have gotten some some important stuff across, um, but uh, there's um, there's not, you know, it's not the world is not overflowing with with. Um, lucrative jobs for truth-tellers, to, to put it mildly. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. so, yeah, so this may be the place where you can do the most good and where you will be able to get some values across because, of course, you can teach implicitly through example where you can't teach explicitly by yes. by language, right? Yeah, like
5: negotiation. Okay, why? Yeah, so,
0: yeah. If, you teach, if you treat the kids as full-on human beings, then you're teaching them something about who they are and their value without ever saying anything about philosophy, right? Yeah.
5: Hey, I'm, I want to cut it short, or not even short. I want to cut it off so these other people at least get a chance to say one more. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to do the internal struggle of whether or not I want to metaphorically smuggle Jews or not. Thank you so much, as usual. Uh, see ya.
0: Oh, yeah, man. And good luck to you. And, uh, yeah, if you, uh, if you do decide, keep me, keep me posted. I mean, oh, you like know, to- if you want my opinion, I'm leaning a little bit more towards staying in the environment, but that's uh, obviously completely... No, that's,
5: up- that's kind yeah. of... That's, it's a struggle because, yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. I appreciate. it. You're very that.
0: welcome, and best of luck to you, and congratulations on on uh, being a um, sounds like a great teacher, and your kids are very very lucky to have you. So, thank, thank you thank so you. much.
2: All right. Bye. All right. Next up, we have uh, Johan. Yeah. Hello. Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Really? Uh, I uh, talked with you. I suppose spoke with you. I guess you say. Uh, last October, I think, and I'm from Sweden. Uh, I talked to you about my childhood and my mother, who most likely is having... uh, has some form of mental disease or something. Yes, I remember. How are you? Well I'm still depressed and uh, not too well I guess I I guess I had some questions about uh, the uh, depression and how to deal with it uh, I think I mentioned before that I am seeing a psychiatrist at a I guess youth clinic Um. And I've been speaking with her for a year, I guess. And uh, she has been... um, uh, uh, pushing... or maybe not pushing, but suggesting... that I should uh, take uh, antidepressants. And I guess... I've been very ambivalent, and I haven't tried them. But she thinks that they will do me a lot of good. And, but, I don't know. I feel I'm just at a standstill. And it's been so, so for quite a while.
0: Right. Well, look, I mean, first and foremost, obviously, I'm not competent to give any kind of medical or psychological advice, but uh, before you take any antidepressants, please, please, please read up on some of the literature. Um, Robert Whitaker's Anatomy of an Epidemic, I just did an interview with him a week or two ago, pretty essential reading. Um, I think it's really, really important to read about the long-term effects of these medications and the degree to which they damn well don't seem to do any better than placebo, uh, but come with a whole host of potential medical complications that are serious, and, um, you know, have risks of, of suicidality and homicidality, and right? So, again, I, I'm not in um, you know, no way, shape, or form competent to, to, to do any of this stuff. But, uh, you know, please just, just read up on the literature that are skeptical of the value of, of these um, supposed medications. Um, read some Thomas Saz, S-Z-A-S-Z, I think. I think he's got the myth of mental illness uh, and so S-Z-A. on. Yes, so. that a. Yes. Okay. So, uh, so uh, I've never taken uh, any of this stuff. Uh, even when I had it was in therapy for years and had eighteen months of crippling insomnia, I didn't even take a sleeping pill, um, and I'm very glad that I didn't. And so, um, again. This is not my area of expertise, but, but please, please, please just read up on some of the literature questioning the efficacy and value of these supposed medicines before uh, deciding to, uh, to take them.
2: Yeah, Why sure. do
0: you think that you're still depressed? And, and again, this is just um, uh, an idiot amateur hour on the internet time as usual, but uh, tell me why, why you think that you're still depressed. Were you hoping to be less depressed now than you were a year ago? Do you feel that you've made progress or do you feel stalled?
2: I feel like I have probably deteriorated. I guess. Um, well, I feel I have been depressed for so long, for I guess most of my uh, teenage years. I recently turned twenty, so, and I don't really know. I I, I am very confused and I feel like I have sort of painted myself in a corner with my um, confused thoughts and maybe come to some conclusions that aren't really valid but they stick to my head well I don't know whether or not I'm a good person or if... Um, or really how I should go about getting better, really. I want to do it the right way, I guess.
0: And what do you consider the ailment? How would you describe the ailment that you have? How I feel? Yeah, no, because you say, I don't know, you know how to get better, but how would, you, how would you characterize the ailment that you have? Better than what? So like, what is the...
2: Uh, I'm sorry, what did you say?
0: Well, um, what is the ailment that you want cured? What, how would you describe the ailment that you want cured or changed?
2: Well, I do want to uh, be happy and, uh, I guess, productive and get on with my life. But uh, I guess I, I want truth, really, and I don't know how really to go about it i have uh, you know found some real useful things uh, listening to you and that's been uh, great but i um, i don't really know right i spend a a lot of time i guess uh, occupying myself with things that uh, aren't Really, going to make myself uh, make me feel any better in the long run, and I know. Uh, I I don't, I don't know. I heard you say that. Um, you just need like them five ten minutes to think about your life if you. really think about what uh, it is that is wrong or what you want. or, And that you spend, most people, many people spend a lot of time avoiding that. And that's what I do.
0: Let me ask you, uh, I appreciate that. Let me ask you a, a question or two. These are just yeah, sure. thoughts that have occurred to me. So you obviously, you had a, a difficult childhood. I think that's fair to say, if I remember our conversation yeah. before rightly. Uh, with a very difficult mother. Right yeah yeah. If you had gotten polio when you were a kid and you had you were in a wheelchair or you had to walk with a cane or you had um, loss of motor control over some parts of your body, people would be very sympathetic to that, right?
2: Yeah
0: and they would they would um, I mean you would receive sympathy uh, people would adjust their expectations i mean nobody would sit there and say hey let's go play basketball i mean they might but they'd be a total douche for saying saying that right yeah so you had uh, a a very difficult childhood with a very difficult mom is this part of people's Understanding of you, like the people in your life, the people around you, sort of friends and relatives. Are you treated with the care and concern and sympathy that I think would be due anybody who experienced this kind of difficult
2: childhood? I don't uh I don't know how to answer that. Um I I have been feeling very lonely but uh, I've sort of been pushing myself away from family and friends because I don't feel but I I have pretty low self-esteem so uh,
0: well let me ask you this has anybody in your life <clears throat> outside of your psychiatrist has anybody in your life that who knew you as a child or who's known you growing up, sat down with you and said, Listen, that was that was a really tough time for you as a kid, wasn't it? That was really, really difficult and horrible in many ways. I wish I could have done something at the time. I paced back and forth all night, sometimes I'm in a room, thinking about anything I could do but the way the laws are, the way your mom was, the way the society is. I just I couldn't figure out a way to help you. But now that you're an adult, and now that you're out on your own, I feel like I can ask you the questions and give you the sympathy that I just just couldn't give to you when you were a child. And that's terrible. I feel terrible about that because that's actually when you needed sympathy and love and compassion the most when you were wrestling with this awful, awful situation which no child, no child should ever have to deal with and which you dealt with month after month, year after year, with nobody reaching in to help you out, or even acknowledge that it was a difficult situation, a horrible situation to be in. But now that you're an adult, I, can, I feel like I can break the silence, I can tell you what was on my mind all these years, and I can express to you my incredibly deep sympathy for what you went through. I can express to you my unbelievably deep shame and sorrow that I did not or did not find a way I felt I couldn't do it before. And to tell you that even though it's late in the game and too late to help you when you were a child, I know what you suffered. I saw it. It broke my heart. It still breaks my heart. But what I want to tell you now, what I want to tell you now, is that I am here for you to help you pick up the pieces. I am here for you to give you whatever resources you need, financial resources, emotional resources, sympathy, care, concern, love, apologies from here to eternity, to help you regain some sense of trust and faith and belief in the world. Because, damn it, I can imagine, and I thought about this so many times when you were a kid, I can imagine just what you must have thought of a world that ignored your suffering, that refused to even acknowledge it, let alone help you deal with it. That turned a blind eye to everything that you had to struggle with and everything that you had to go through. Because you must have formed a vision of the world that was full of such cold, uncaring, self-indulgent, self-involved robots that I can't imagine what you must think of the world now. But I'm here to tell you that it doesn't always have to be this way, that the world can be a warmer And not even warmer, a warm, vaguely warm, caring and concerned place for you to be and for you to live in. And that doesn't always have to be the way that it was when you were a kid and had to deal with all of this stuff alone. And so I'm just telling you, I'm here for anything that you need, three o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. You phone me, you talk to me. We will go out for lunch every day, every week, every month. Whatever works for you best so that you can get a sense that there are people here who who care for you and who are willing to do whatever it takes to restore your faith in the world which was sorely damaged I hope not irrevocably by the degree to which you did not experience the just and necessary sympathy for what you
2: went through as a child yeah well no one has quite said it like that I spoke with my uh, my uncle's Wife, I guess you can call her my aunt who has uh, seen me grow up and uh, who I spent a lot of time with um, especially during the summers and such growing up and uh, she and I had some conversations maybe a year ago where I told her uh pretty much everything since I had felt so isolated for such a long time, but I don't know, that's stopped. And I haven't, I haven't really had, I don't know if courage is the right word, but uh, I haven't sort of reached out to anyone. shouldn't be
0: your job. shouldn't be your job. No? No. It shouldn't be your job.
2: Yeah. Uh, I have two uh, friends who uh, I don't speak a lot to, but uh, they have told me that, you know, that they are there if I ever want to talk. I don't know. I, no,
3: that's it's it not, hard for me no, to. No, that's, that's to not
2: being. Sorry,
0: this. sorry, you don't know this. I mean, I would imagine from your history, and it's it's uncommon knowledge. That's not what being there for someone is. Being there for someone is not saying, "Give me a call if you need anything." That is not the same as being there for someone. Being there for someone is being proactive, particularly someone who's. I mean, saying to a depressed co- person, "Call me if you need anything," is. It's like saying to a drowning person, "Give me a shout." Uh, you know, when you learn to swim. Yeah. People need to fill up the emptiness with warmth. In my view, admittedly, ridiculously amateur view, depression is a social vacuum caused by coldness. It is not an individual issue. It is a relationship issue. It is the relationship with society. It's the relationship with the world. It is the holiness that comes from an uncaring world. Because people claim to be nice, people claim that they care about the whales and the ozone layer and global warming and they they just care and the children and Whitney Houston songs make me cry and we care so much for everyone, we're so much full of love and we care about the poor and we care about the old and we have all these pension plans because we care about the needy and health care for the poor, we care, we care, we fucking care for everything, everyone all the time. Just one big giant beating, bleeding sympathetic heart dominating the world, that's what people say. That's what people say, Yeah. but my standard is the standard of truth and the standard of truth is I don't care what people say. I care what people do, and I have told some people in my life who'd been in my life for many years about the truth of my history. And yeah they listened once and they made some sympathetic noises and then the topic never ever came up again and unfortunately that told me everything i needed to know right childhood trauma is not something you mention to something you mention to someone once and then it's all better It's something that if people claim that they care about the world, I mean, you live in Sweden, right? Cradle to grave socialism. We care about the needy. We care about the poor. We are such a fucking caring society. We're so caring that when someone talks about personal pain, we ignore them. Because that's how full of love we are. We love the abstract. We love the laws. We love the socialism. We love the government. We love the pension schemes. We love the welfare. We love the education. We love all of the abstract things that do not require a single drop of human sympathy from us in any actual relationship. The welfare shit is cold and requires no giving of a living human heart. That's one of the reasons it doesn't work one of the many reasons it doesn't work. But if you claim to live in a compassionate society, I don't judge someone's compassion by their abstract support of a system they never created enforced by strangers at the point of a gun It doesn't pay for its own sustenance. I don't care if somebody supports the welfare state and claims that they're a good person because of that. What I care about is how do you show your love, not to the abstract old or the abstract poor or the abstract sick or the abstract children. How do you show your love to the people in your life who could actually benefit from your emotion, could actually benefit from your love, who need it like a camel needs water? That's the true measure of the virtue, compassion, and love in your society. The idea that people would judge the compassion of a society by the laws the government imposes is madness. People will look at us down the tunnel from the future and wonder how we put one foot in front of the other. We're so insane. So if you suffered this much as a child, and you do not have people who are willing to help you, even with the excuse that, Maybe they couldn't have found a way to help you when you were a kid. But you're not a kid anymore. And you need your society to fill you back up with some faith in the belief of the virtue of your society. You need some people to actually show you some eye contact, human compassion, and love. Not in the abstract, we've got a fucking lore thing.
2: Yeah. I don't know, maybe... uh I think uh, those few people in my life want to help me, but maybe they just don't dare to be uh, very proactive about it, unless well, I come them. That's called not helping them.
0: someone though, right? That's, that's called, I'm not very comfortable with this, so I'm going to choose my discomfort over another person's desperate human need yeah right that tells yeah. you that tells you where you stand in the prioritization of others well i'd really like to stop this guy who's got a flat tire by the side of the road and no cell phone but it's a little windy out and i just did my hair and so i'll just keep driving but i'm a really good person who really cares about people and that's nothing compared to people who may have known you for years Uh, I'll I tell you, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my ridiculous two cents worth. I'll tell you what what, what I think depression as a whole comes from. I'm done with yours, I don't know. I think that the people who tend to get the most depressed are the people who've actually needed something from society of value, of virtue. They've actually needed some love and some compassion and some care from society, and they have realized that it is in pretty scarce supply. And that's some pretty depressing shit right there, right? And not not because it's not there, but because everyone thinks it is there. Right? Because everyone says we live in such a caring and virtuous and good society, right? Yeah, I agree. And if it's not there, and people don't even know that it's not there then you're living in a world of crazy people and, and pompous self-praising patted themselves on the back for being so damn virtuous people. It's like, it's like a table full of fat men talking about how much they care about feeding the poor while there are literally starving children all around the table. And the fat men have finished their meal and there's leftovers. And the children are staring at the food, weak with hunger, hands shaking from hunger and thirst and looking at the juice and the cakes and the meats and the bread, butter, honey. The fat men, oh, we got to do something about the poor. I care so much about the poor. It's all I think about day and night is caring for the poor. Hey, get away from my table, kid. back away from that bread. I'm full, but I might want some later. Back off on your bony stick spider arms. Yep. That's what it is like when you are hungry for compassion. Not in society as a whole. Just in the people in your life who've been in your life for years who probably say to you, I love you. Or may at least claim that that's the case. So, okay, you love oh, me. I fantastic. haven't heard it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I mean,
2: Only for I my feel mom. love
0: for your honesty in just talking about this. But it's when you actually need something in society, when you actually are owed something by society in terms of compassion, right? Because people who are in your life, who didn't protect you or help you when you were suffering and who claim to love you, they owe you something. It's, it's a voluntary contract because they're saying they love you. They're saying that they care for you. They say that they want the best for you. So, they owe you something. I mean, a guy I hire to help me with my nutrition owes me his best professional advice about nutrition. It's much less important than someone who claims that they love me and want the best for me in my life, in my family, in my community, in my circle of friends.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So the
0: depression is... Sorry, the depression... I don't mean to interrupt you. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Uh, It's uh, the the last thing I'll say, because the last thing I want to say is, you know, you're depressed because people don't listen, and they don't listen. But I think the depression is... It comes from the emptiness of others. It comes from the hypocrisy of others. It comes from the fact that people say a lot of shit about caring about people, but when it actually comes to overcoming their own discomforts and put that caring into practice, they won't bother. They'll throw on the TV, they'll go see a movie, they'll play a video game, they'll go dancing, they'll go drinking, they'll do anything rather than actually reach out and help a suffering soul who they claim to love. And I think that is society's emptiness, shame, and guilt as a whole rather than something that is specific to you as an individual. Anyway, that's my two-bit theory. Now I will shut the heck up.
2: Yeah, well, I guess I've been sort of blaming myself for not doing more or being better than I am for a long time. Mm.
0: Well, I would stop blaming yourself and start to look. Because that's to say that you exist in isolation. You don't exist in isolation. You exist in a social network within a culture, a society, a country, and a circle of people, friends, and family who claim to love you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if the, if the bleeding guy in the gutter has people stepping over him to get to the bar, does he say, I'm doing something wrong? I'm not bleeding the right way. I'm, I'm, I'm not inviting enough. I've got, you know, I've got, uh, maybe these blood stains are not arranged in an artful way. and Maybe I should be lying with this foot under me and not that foot under me. Maybe I need to smile more winningly in order to get people to help me. No. The guilt is not... In the attitude of the victim. The guilt is in all the assholes stepping over the bleeding man or looking away. Yeah. Don't take that guilt. You suffered through no fault of your own as a child, you suffered through no fault of your own as a child. The effects of that have you suffering through no fault of your own as an adult. And it is up to your society to get off its ass and do something to actually help you. And if you have to do it and you have to encourage people and you have to cajole people and you have to remind people to help you, they're not too fucking helpful.
2: But... Uh should I give up on that? Or should I maybe start pushing people to help me more?
0: Well, I wouldn't... So maybe, I, maybe then no, I would no, have see, get this is, what, help, this is what everyone <laughs> wants to do. Let's assume that, that what I'm saying has some truth to it. Let's just assume that for the moment. Then people immediately want to say, well, what should I do with this knowledge? No, 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 no. If you just learn something new, you need to absorb it. If what I'm saying has some truth to it, then you need to just sit and process it and say, okay, So this is the society that I live in. To say immediately, what should I do with this new insight is to actually avoid processing the insight and say we must turn the new knowledge directly into action. Hmm. Right? But if there's truth in what I'm saying, then you need to sit. That's a pretty powerful insight about you and the world and history and your society and everyone around you and love and compassion and friendship and family. and It's a huge amount to process. So process it. I mean, it's like, you're a starving guy, somebody just laid out a big feast, and you're saying, okay, where do I shit this? No, 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 no! <laughs> First you must eat, then you shit, right?
2: Well, I will definitely mull it over, I guess.
0: This, uh, I mean, well, tell me how you feel. Tell me. I'm like
2: giving you an order. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I agree with what you have said. Absolutely, and uh, I don't know, I guess there is some, uh, it's hard for me to accept it,
0: maybe. Right. Somebody's just asked, okay, but what can this caller do about the reality he lives in? That's a great question. But let's look practically. Can you make other people compassionate? Can you make other people live up to the values of love that they claim? You can't. You cannot make somebody compassionate.
2: I guess I just don't want to think that the people around me aren't compassionate.
0: Well, again, it's not something you think, it's something you observe. Right? I mean, you're like the the Pope in the... (laughs) 16th century saying, well, I don't want to think of the sun at the center of the solar system. I guess that's important to process, but the question is, is the sun at the center of the solar system? Right? The question is, first and foremost, to deal not with your reactions to the facts, but whether they're facts at all. Right. Because if there are people who are compassionate in your life, who've been knocking at your door with casseroles and... <laughs> And, and conversation topics and asking you about this, that, and the other and telling you to, asking you to, to say everything that happened in your childhood that you think is important and has... If those people are there, then, you know, that's important. But you're saying that they're not. And you're 20, so it's not like people haven't had a couple of decades to show up, right? And obviously, people in your life know that you're depressed, I would assume, unless you're able to put on yes. a show, right? You know. And, um, right? But this is, why, this is why we have antidepressants. Because people would rather drug people in dangerous ways than open up their hearts to be compassionate and curious. And again, you see, the reason that I condemn people for this, like, in a way, you, you, you can't condemn a Nazi for being anti-Jewish. In a way, in a really weird way. Because he's not pretending he's pro-Jewish. He's right out there. <laughs> You can condemn him for being bigoted, but you cannot condemn him for being hypocritical.
2: Yeah.
0: And this is hypocritical because you live in a society that claims compassion, that claims virtue, that claims sympathy, that claims love.
2: Yeah, I guess I just don't know what to do with that information. Well, you don't do. Until I have absorbed it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to absorb it. Look, be skeptical with everything I'm saying. Everything that I'm saying, everybody should always... I am, right? Because if I come up with a thesis, the first place I look is, okay, well, what are the counterexamples? And that's a valuable thing to do. Everything falls down. Hey, there's a helium balloon going up. Okay, let's revise, right? My experience has been that when you talk about past pain... Everybody gets really uncomfortable, and the topic... They may listen and sort of make some sympathetic noises in the moment, but they are very uncomfortable, and the topic never comes up again. Like, you had your blurb. It was kind of weird, but okay, we're done. Let's go back to normal, as if it never happened, right? That's been my experience. That's also been the experience of literally hundreds of people I've talked to about this.
2: Yeah, I guess I'll have to agree with that, too.
0: It is... It is what is called society at the moment. And the reason, as I say, society is to blame is because everybody in society talks about how compassionate they are and how great it is, right? How people really care, really care about the poor. We have a caring society. Yeah. We give free health care to the poor. We're just so good at it, right?
2: But not in their real life.
0: Yeah, not, not where it actually demands something other than bland ideological adherence. And you see, people are so unable to genuinely help others that they would rather pay 50% taxation to a welfare state that screws the poor than actually help people in their lives. Do you understand what a barrier it is? They would rather, this is why people get pillaged by their governments, because they would rather sell off the poor to the political ambitions of sociopaths then actually have compassion for somebody in their lives who's hurting and needs love. Yeah. And so you say, well, let's get rid of the welfare state. What? You mean I'm going to have to get involved? You mean I'm actually going to talk to these people? Are you kidding me? Because the vast majority of people who are poor, in my opinion, they're because they've been abused actually going to have to deal with the topic of abuse of children? No, 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 no. I'll give up taxes. I'll, I'll, I'll have a huge government. I'll, I'll even risk war. I'll, I'll risk inflation, hyperinflation. I'll risk social collapse. I'll risk national debts. I'll, I'll put the kids into these state farm indoctrination camps. I'll do anything rather than have to deal with this actual topic of the harm done to children.
2: Yeah. Um, could I ask you about another thing? Is there a time?
0: Oh, we can keep it quick, but yes.
2: Yeah. Um, well, since there hasn't been uh, much progress w- um, with me going and speaking with the psychiatrist, she and I have a pretty good. Uh, what do you call it? Relationship, I guess. But uh, it hasn't helped me much with my depression. So, uh, now, uh, there's a possibility that I could uh, uh, go to some sort of clinic uh, which she would arrange and uh, speak with Yes, a therapist or a licensed psychologist or something like that. Do You think that would, could help, or is it?
0: Well, I mean, I, you know, I would certainly say that if you're not making much progress with any professional, I mean, if you said I've been working with a dietitian for a year and I haven't lost any weight, and in fact I think I'm even heavier, I would say, well, yeah, it might be worth checking out a new dietitian. Uh, it, might be worth, it might be worth doing this. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, it, it, but, but, you know, I mean, I've mean, i put out a podcast with my thoughts on, on how to choose a good therapist, which you might want to check out. It's in the stream. I don't know if anyone in the chat room knows the number, but uh, that may be valuable. But, um, uh, you know, don't just blindly put yourself in the hands of somebody with letters after their name and assume that the problems are going to get solved. I think it's important to be a skeptical consumer when it comes to mental health.
2: Okay. Uh, Could you maybe give me those names for uh, uh, that you said in the beginning? Was it about skeptics, Uh, people who who were skeptical against, I guess, antidepressants?
0: Oh, sure. Um uh there is um anatomy of an epidemic yep the myth of mental illness and uh just shoot me an email if you like or post on the message board i've got a couple of others that i've done for research that names of which uh, escape me at the moment but um yeah i i i think i mean i think it's important to you have to be a very alert consumer when it comes to this kind of stuff uh, there's a lot of financial incentives and social incentives. Um, you know, we talked about how people would rather have the welfare state than show human compassion, no matter how destructive the welfare state is. I think the same thing is people would rather think that there's some chemical imbalance, right, um, than actually show basic human compassion. So, but, um, yeah, I think this is um, some, some sorry, some people posted, uh, you know, Nathaniel Brandon, of course, is a I think is a good guy. It's psychology of self-esteem, I think, is very... Uh, very important, but there were other people who'd posted some other stuff. I don't know if you're in the chat room. Okay. And also, you got a lot of love in the chat room. Oh, so, thanks. Um, uh, so, yeah, I hope that I hope that those will be uh, will be helpful. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think the important thing is to you know avoid self blame and look for the external, external and just and rational causes of the sadness and anger and loneliness and emptiness that you may be feeling. Um, the illness. Well, the deficiency, you know, when you're young, the first place to look for the deficiency is in society, not in yourself. Why? Because you have been guided, educated, instructed, and nurtured, or not nurtured, by society, right? I mean, if you have, let's uh, take an extreme example. If I have a, uh, a cow that's in my paddock, right, and it never goes out, and I'm the only one around for miles, and my cow is starving, who's responsible?
2: Yeah, I'm sorry, what did you say?
0: (laughs) Sorry, which part did you miss?
2: Something about a cow. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) So, if I'm a farmer, and I live in the middle of nowhere, no one else is around for miles, and I've got a cow in a little field behind my house, and my cow is starving, who's responsible? The farmer. Right. So, who should the cow blame?
2: Uh, The farmer. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And you are in an enclosure when you're a child. You're in the enclosure of your family. You're in the enclosure of school. You're in the enclosure of society. And so if there's something wrong with you as a child, the first place you look is those in charge of the enclosure. Now, that may not be the case when you're 40 or 30, but certainly when you're 20, that's where I would look. Uh, It's FDR 1927. The show is 1927, How to Find a Great Therapist. Okay. So I would not internalize these deficiencies uh, without strong, strong evidence to the contrary, and I think you've got strong evidence to support not internalizing these deficiencies. The, 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 uh, The deficiency, the sickness, the absence, the coldness, the depression, the alienation, these may entirely plausibly be deficiencies in your society that you are feeling. And if your society can get you to blame yourself, then your society can stay off the hook. You understand? If the people who should have given you love in the past or present can get you to blame yourself for your deficiency, then they are not responsible. There's something wrong with you, and they're off the hook. And society will do a hell of a lot to blame the victim, the unjust victim, so that society doesn't have to change. What's wrong With the kids in school, is it anything to do with the system that's been set up, with the adults, with the appalling quality of the miseducation they're receiving? No! Is it anything to do with bad parenting? No! Is it anything to do with failed social policies that have resulted in poverty and single-parent families, which are incredibly unstable and damaging, particularly for boys? No! We are not to blame the victim, the child must internalize this. You are bad. You have a chemical imbalance. You have a problem. You have a disorder. You need to be fixed. Nothing wrong with society. You need to be fixed. Yeah. And yet you go to any, huh, you get to go to almost any, uh, any mental health professional and you say to that mental health professional, what is the definition of mental health? What are they going to say? Uh, uh, that which allows you to function in your society? Bullshit. Bullshit. Hitler was functioning very well in his society. In fact, he got to the very top of his society. Would we call him mentally healthy? No. Stalin ran Russia. Was he mentally healthy? No. So it is not functioning well within your society or having success within your society. Is it called being happy? Well, what a ridiculous standard for mental health that would be. Being happy, my ass. <laughs> it's like saying to somebody who's 400 pounds, they go to a dietitian, come away with a diet that cuts 4,000 calories from their day, and saying, Well, the nutritionist is doing this because he wants you to be happy. No, the nutritionist is doing this because he wants you to lose weight. And he knows that losing weight is going to make you very unhappy. <laughs> Happiness is a standard for mental health. Good Lord. Uh, you know, maybe in the mm-hmm. long run, but. I think we all know, and a lot of the conversations today have been about this, that when you start down the road of truth, it is not happiness that it produces. It is quite a lot of unhappiness and stress and difficulty. So, yeah, go to mental health professionals say, oh, you want to make me well. Tell me, what is wellness? What is wellness? What is What is mental health? And I think almost every answer that they give you will be about about as easy to disprove as two and two make five. So, yeah, I think it's important to be a skeptical consumer. Okay. So, I hope that I didn't yammer on too much, and I hope that this was of some... Of some <laughs> no, not at all.
2: To,
0: ...to you, and I really Thank you. appreciate you calling in.
2: Yeah, and I, I appreciate you taking the time. It was uh, great chatting with you. All
0: right. Well, my pleasure, and uh, thank you, as everyone, thank you, everyone, of course, so much. As always, uh, it is a challenging January. Of course, everybody is um, broke from Christmas. Uh, so, but if you do, if you are one of these sensible, non-materialistic types who saved a few shekels from Christmas, or got a few shekels from Christmas, if you uh, felt like donating, it would, it is always more than appreciated. Uh, it's cold up here, and we do like the firewood. So, um, you can go to freedomainradio.com forward slash donate I really appreciate your support. And appreciate massively all of the listeners. It is a high point of my week to have these great conversations with Yao. Have yourselves a wonderful week, and I will talk to you again before you know it. All the best.